1: Hello and welcome to the IGN UK podcast. I am Chris, uh, this week I'm joined by Gavin and we are spoiling you yet again because we have another guest and it's a really good one this week. It's a gentleman called Gary Witter. Hello. Hello Gary. Gary Hello. is a game journalist turned screenwriter, turned comic book writer, turned game writer, turned book writer. Now. I do a lot
2: of turning, yeah. Yeah, apparently.
1: <laughs> yeah, well you've done it all though. I've done a bit. Yeah, a it's, bit. it's
2: impressive. I'm quite old, so I've had time to do lots of things.
1: And you're yeah. also pretty much the perfect guest because those are all the subjects we cover on this podcast. Yeah, I know.
2: I'm like the IGN. Like, if you it's built good. like an IGN podcast robot,
1: yeah, it'd, it'd, it'd be you. Be kind of like me, I suppose. If we were in America, you'd be our, the MVP. I like that. And yeah. you're now you now live in America.
2: IGN MVP. Yes, and in fact, I'm very good friends with a lot of the IGN guys in uh, the US. Yeah. I actually I was there. I, I'm old enough to remember to be like Grandpa Simpson telling all these old stories. Um, I remember when IGN was created, when it was oh, wow. Imagine Games Network. Mm. That's what the IGN originally stood for. Yeah, and I used yeah. to work for a, a company called Future Publishing, which they did an America. I was the editor of PC Gamer back many years ago. And yeah. Future became or, or launched an American version of itself called Imagine. Yeah. And Imagine Games Network was the was the online part of that. And oh, then wow. many years later, it's you know, obviously spun through different iterations. And IGN is now yeah. this big thing. And Future. But um, Yeah, I'm very friendly with a lot of, you know, Greg Miller, who just left IGN, but Mm -hmm. he's a good friend of mine, Naomi Kyle. Thanks for uh, bringing that up. (laughs) Well, I tell you, I know that was not an easy decision for him because he loves IGN so much, but he wanted to, you know, it's, everyone's kind of doing their own thing Yeah, and it's
1: like we've all stayed friends and he'll continue to do bits and pieces for us. Well, Greg, you know, who knows?
2: I don't know if I, I might not, I I, I reevaluate my friendship with Greg on a daily basis. You never know.
1: (laughs) So I was going to kick off Proceedings Gary, by trying to, to give the listeners an insight into who you are. I want to know what your favorite game, film, and TV show of all time are. If there's any chance you could pick one of each. It's
2: really hard to pick just one of like course. that, isn't it? I mean, I do have, like, my top fives and things. Yeah. I, I, I constantly reevaluate them. Interestingly, just this past week, I decided I, I, my top five films, I move them around all the time. Yeah. Mm. There's a couple there that are just locks that never move. Like, The Empire Strikes Back will never, ever leave it. Yeah. That's always in there. Um, and then there's always ones that are kind of on the bubble. There's been a bit of uh, movement lately. Okay. I put Big Trouble in Little China in there last nice. year. Yeah. And uh, just this past year, it's funny, it's one of these films that doesn't get talked about enough, but whenever you mention it, people's eyes just light up because everyone recognises what a great film it is. Master and Commander is one of my favourite films of all time. Well, yeah. I was
1: not expecting that. No, it's,
2: a tr- it, it's, it's my greatest regret as a film fan yeah. that I never saw it on the big screen. Right. Okay, because yeah. it came and went without any... Noise really, yeah, and yeah. I didn't think to go and see it. And then I saw it I saw it years later on DVD, and it just absolutely blew me away. If you take mm. any one thing from this podcast, <laughs> go and see my, you know, go see Master and Commander with Russell Crowe. It's an absolutely mm. fantastic film. And I'm de- I'm constantly looking to see like if it's ever going to like be brought back to the big screen, like in a you know yeah. revival or something. Because well, I would totally go and, and see it. And it was
1: supposed to be a franchise, you know, with yeah. a bunch of books. That it was. Well, to-
2: Patrick O'Brien wrote all these amazing books, and yeah. they did the first film, which I think combined a couple of the. Yeah the first two books together and the idea was it it was going to be a big franchise but it didn't make enough money mm. um and it, you know we we live in an age now where we have we have four transformers films and only one master <laughs> and commander so something's not right <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> so we got is that three you've listed there so i did empire, empire big i trouble. did
2: big trouble and master and commander yeah and then um the other ones that moved die hard's always in there yep. um and raiders
1: yeah nice okay you're a true you're it's a, good a true list. man of the 80s. Yeah, you know. I mean, and again, though.
2: there's others that keep moving around. Back to the Future comes in and out. Midnight yeah. Run comes in and out. But, you know, I often, you know, myself and other screenwriter buddies often talk about, like, how close you can get to the idea of a perfect film. Yeah. And Raiders and Back to the Future and um, Empire are often, Jurassic Park, I think, is another one, are yeah, often. Definitely. Like, it's very, very, unless you want to be, like, the ultimate... Nitpicker, and we are in a golden age of nitpickers these exactly, days with yeah. the internet, um, it's very, very hard to find any significant flaws with any of those films. Yeah. yeah. So that's what we all aspire to, is to make something that good. Well, mm.
1: the fact the fact you, you mentioned Empire gives us a good excuse to talk about what your job has been for the last year. So what, what have you been working on?
2: Uh, I just got done working on what will be one of the new Star Wars films. Um, I worked on it for pretty much an entire year. And as I'm sure you will appreciate, there's very little I'm allowed to say about... <laughs> Any of it, because they take secrecy. Yeah. Very, if you look at you know all the secrecy surrounding JJ's film, all of that applies mm. to the one I worked on, and to all of them. See, that's why we should have got him drunk before starting the podcast. <laughs> well, I I, I quit <laughs> drinking a few years ago. In Italian, doesn't drink. Yeah, uh, I uh, in, in, in anticipation of this five yeah. years ago, I thought I might work, I might write a Star Wars film one day <laughs> and then go on a podcast <laughs> drunk. So I should probably st- stop drinking now, yeah, so that that can never happen. Um, and look what happens; it worked out. Um, no, so I worked on it. It was I, I mean I will come back here. Uh, in a year, in, in a couple of years, in December of 2016, yeah. when the film is out. And I'll happily tell you yep. all of my stories of adventures in a Excellent. galaxy far, far away. But
1: this is Gareth Edwards.
2: Gareth Edwards, mm. who directed... Uh, who's another Brit. He's a, he's he a, he's a boy from Nuneaton. He is, yeah. Uh, who directed a, a terrific little independent film that he wrote and directed called Monsters, which if you've mm. never seen it, see that. Really, really good. And then he made the uh, Godzilla, which you saw last year. Mm. And he and I worked together for about the last year on uh, on the Star Wars, uh, the first Star Wars standalone film, the one that will come out between episodes seven and eight. And I already feel like I'm veering into, like even though all this stuff is, I get very nervous whenever I talk <laughs> sure. about it, especially into a microphone. Yes, yeah. it was brilliant. By by far the most um, uh, rewarding and fun creative experience I've ever had. Like the 12-year-old kid in me was just losing his shit like the whole time yeah. that I was doing it.
1: Yeah, and I as a, as a fan, I like the fact that a man who's, is one of his favourites if not his favourite film of all time is Empire Strikes Back is yeah. writing a Star Wars film that just sounds good to me yeah
2: I agree I mean you know it's it was, it was one of those things where you're constantly pinching yourself because I mean it's, it's true of a whole generation of filmmakers that um, the the original trilogy of those films I think inspired literally like I said the entire generation of, of so many great yeah. filmmakers will tell you that Star Wars is the film that made them want to be a filmmaker uh, it's this, just this monumental edifice in popular culture mm. so to get to you know Contribute a small piece to mm. the legacy of that is just mad, and yeah. uh, it was very nerve wracking. But also, just like I said, I'll come back another day and I'll tell you. <laughs> I will tell you stories and, and show you pictures. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. <laughs> um, how, how, um,
1: just well, the last one on that su- on that subject. How does the film end that you've written? Then <laughs> uh, with the credits. Uh, ah, yeah. very good, very good. Uh, so, have we got a game or a TV show that springs to mind? TV show it's hard isn't it because you know you're
2: always comparing like the stuff that's around that's it's in your like Breaking Bad is the best show I've seen in the last 10 years I know that mm. uh, but in terms of like what what meant a lot to me when I grew up I mean like, the original Star Trek was incredibly important to me that's another one that I would put in the list of like if you make a list of what, what are the things that made you want to be a writer Yeah, the original Star Trek and it really really bums me out that Star Trek is not I think it's a crime anytime Star Trek's not on television it should <laughs> be constantly on television like there should always be a version of Star Trek yeah um, on TV. And it kind of bums me out a little bit that it's been that Star Trek has now become just a big blockbuster action movie yeah. franchise. Because I don't ever think that's what really what it was meant to be. I, it was what it was meant to be like about exploration and mm. big science fiction ideas. You go back to the original Star Trek show and it was written by like the great science fiction writers of the time. Mm. Yeah. And they had th- episodes that were about like really, you know, what science fiction is supposed to make you think about real stuff and have yeah. a message. And the original Star Trek did that brilliantly. Um, And I enjoy the new Star Trek films, but I think they've basically just become kind of more generic action blockbusters that happen to be set on the USS Enterprise. It sounds like with this third one, they might be trying to get back more to the roots of... Star Trek. I think the original idea was, like, grab them with big explosive exactly, action, yeah. build the audience, and then maybe kind of do some more Star Trek-y yeah. stuff. So well, I, that's
0: what it sort of felt like at the end of the first one. They said, you know, they were going off to go on these new adventures, and then they... Yeah, they finally
2: out. get to the five-year <laughs> mission at the end of the of the second
1: film. So let's exactly, hope that, yeah. they, that they go and yeah. do some of those well, things. Well, I'll do just a quick segue here, because we'll, this is an email that we've received, and I was going to save it till the end of the show, but... Um, it's from Harry Riyut, Re- and he's talking about that. We talked about what TV shows we'd like to see come back. Yeah. Um, because of the X Files potentially come back. And he said, I would personally like to see a quality Star Trek show, and was surprised it wasn't on your podcast list. It's been far too long since The Next Generation and Voyager. The storytelling on those shows was excellent and always kept me engaged. The last attempt, Enterprise, was a little weak, as I think there was little appeal in seeing the early days of The Enterprise with stripped back technology and a smaller crew. But imagine the likes of Brian Cranston, Ian McKellen, Idris Elba or Billy Bob Thornton in the roles of captains. <laughs> A couple of more interesting choices would be the excellent Martin Freeman who has blown me away with his performance in Fargo and perhaps James Spader. A female captain would be good too but I can't think of any right now. Oh, come on. And that's the end of his email. But... um not, so. only, not only do I find that somewhat sexist, yeah. it's, actually, it's
2: actually a little bit speciesist as well. I've always had this, always had this weird theory that Star Trek is slightly racist mm. in that it's racist towards all the other species. It, 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 it takes all, all the non-human species and puts them in very stereotypical boxes like, okay, well, the Klingons, well, they're all just warlike. Mm. Well, the Ferengi, they're just greedy. The Vulcans—they're just very cold and logical—and they—and they create these like very basic stereotypes. That's not really not, good point. None, of, none of the none of the Star Trek races are like nuanced and layered in the ways that you think. Of, like, yeah. There's no one like okay. Well, what are humans like? Well, there's no simple answer. To that. They're all they're, they're all yeah. different kinds of humans. Um, but there's only one kind of Klingon, which yeah. I think really again is a little bit racist. And we talk about oh, let's have a black captain. We've done that. That's brilliant. Let's mm. have a female captain. We've done that. When are they going to have a non-human captain? That's why, a really why good is point. That, like, in, a, in what's supposed to be kind of this incredibly inclusive yeah. Federation future, where you know all the races are kind of pulling together and yeah. going towards this utopian Roddenberry type ideal, why is it so difficult for us to the idea of an alien
0: yeah. And all the time? That anytime you have like the, you know the Klingon. On the ship, they're always trying to be more human as well. So, like, and if you have a Ferengi, they're always trying to be more human. They all need like a really, really small yeah, part. of Yeah, like out- he's like an outlier. Exactly. Yeah. I
2: had this idea of the. It kind of bugged me a little bit. I think it was a very brave decision, but it bugged me slightly that in mm. the in the first new Star Trek film, they destroyed Vulcan. Yeah. But I. Oh, spoiler, sorry if you haven't seen it. It's your fault. You've yeah. seen it by now. It's long <laughs> um, yeah, the statute of limitations has passed. Yeah. But I felt like that could have. That, I thought that would have led into a really interesting new. TV show where like, I would like to have seen like a Vulcan ship whose job it was to go and find a new homeworld yeah. and yeah. then in the second one they just say oh how's things going on new Vulcan oh well, I yeah. guess they found a new homeworld but there could have been an interesting show there but you would never get that through a Hollywood system because someone's going to say people won't watch non-human yeah. characters which yeah. I think is nonsense
1: you could have called yeah. it logical
2: Star Trek Logical oh yeah I'd watch that
1: I just feel bad that Harry can't think of a single female captain even though he thinks it's a good idea he just can't think can't of think any of a,
2: can't think of a single what one about, what about Helen Mirren Tilda Swinton yeah Tilda Swinton I've just done two right there yeah Have you so seen two se- literally took us two seconds yeah she's, she's mad isn't it she's There's incredible like that, a space yeah. age Hilda Ogden which yeah. is like kind of crazy <laughs> I love it. I love her. She's 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 one of those actresses where like I don't care what I don't need to know anything else. Like, okay, so what's the movie? Well, told us. Okay, that's it. I'm good. You can stop there. Told us. And I wonder what
1: film she's been in that I've not recognized her because she's so unrecognizable (laughs) in so many roles.
2: She's incredible. Yeah. She's oh, great. Let's get her as a captain, definitely. Well, well, Harry, Can you imagine her as a captain? Well, Harry can't. <laughs> I would, I would, I would actually make her the female Vulcan captain of the show that I was just talking about. Yeah, yeah Tilda they Swinton, really as the female Vulcan of a, a captain of a, of a of a Vulcan ship or a Federation ship, yeah. whose job it is to seek out, not seek out new worlds but seek out a new world yeah, for
1: the, for the Vulcan people. And she could be in it for a long time because she's not ageing either. No, I don't yeah. know if you've noticed. No. she's in, a, she's right. in she actually, I think she's
2: actually living a Vulcan lifespan which <laughs> is about <laughs>
1: 250 years. Has anyone checked her ears? <laughs> she's doing very well for um, herself. And finally, games. You, mm. you, you started out in games. Mm. So what... I don't know. What's the seminal game of your lifetime? Which is oh, bloody gaming's no. lifetime. That's also true. as well, like,
0: you know, obviously you started out as a games journalist. I started out in future publishing as well. Like, how... Has it changed? Like, how have you watched games journalism, like, change over the past few years?
2: since you started? I mean, I've been out of games journalism now for nearly 15 years. So I've been very much kind of on the sidelines. I started in 1988 on a magazine called Commodore User, reviewing Commodore 64 and Amiga games. Mm. And I was in the business up until the end of the millennium, like 2000, I think I left. I was the editor-in-chief of PC Gamer. yeah. And so I worked worked through the um, 8-bit era... Uh, the 16 bit era, and then into what is now kind of the next, you know, the constant kind of recycling of next gen yeah. technology and the PC, which has been the one constant. Um, I don't know how much, I think journalism's actually become a lot better in the sense that if you look at the quality of reporting and think pieces and like really like back in the day when i was starting a magazine game magazines were basically just catalogs yeah like here are the new games that are coming out here are some previews they here have good some graphics reviews. Yeah, excellent <laughs> graphics excellent value for money <laughs> two thumbs up um and that was, but there was just guides to the, the and, but as the games have become more sophisticated yeah and more challenging especially with what's happening you know in the indie game scene where games are actually about things games yeah. have matured Gen- games journalism i think has been forced to Mature along with it, and as the games have become more sophisticated, criticism has have to, has had to become more hmm. sophisticated. So I, I mean, there there are people that I enjoy reading tremendously. Like again, back in the day, all you could read was like game reviews, and now you can read like really interesting pieces about about the culture of games yeah, that I think are you know I, I think the whole thing is a lot more mature. And I'm actually kind of glad that I'm not in it anymore because I don't think, I don't think I could play at that level. <laughs> like, it was actually much easier for me when I was just like putting together ga- you know get ga- game reviews and yeah. on piece of Gamer we tried to do some interesting. Features and stuff. I was around mm. when, um, when Edge magazine first, I think, was one of the first magazines to really try and do something more yeah. um, mature and talk about games in a, in a more grown-up way. And now everyone's at it. And I think, yeah. that's, and I think that's great. I think that, that gaming is still very much in kind of the silent movie era mm. of, yeah. its, of its life cycle. Okay, yeah. um, we're still figuring out like, how to tell interesting stories in video games. Mm. I think, you know, 20 years from now, we'll look back at what we have now and go, in the same way that you look back at like the Atari 2600 now, can you believe we ever played that? You'll be looking back in 20 years, like Uncharted 4 and going, can you believe we ever thought that was impressive? And that's really exciting to think about that. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, So it's it's been fascinating to see both the evolution, not just of the medium itself, but of the criticism around it, because both have, as one matures, the other is forced to mature with it. It's really interesting. But favorite games, again, it's another one. It's like the ones that I grew up on when I was a kid, Um, There's a Commodore 64 game called Paradroid, which is my one of my all-time favorite games, and it's desperately, desperately in need of like a big 3D Unreal Engine remake. They'd totally do it. It'd be really cool. Of this, of this like last generation, probably my favorite game. I mean, you know, the the games I've sunk the most time into, like the big AAA titles, yeah, uh, Mass Effect. The Red Dead games, you know, all the kind of. The, I'm not going to come, like come out of left field with anything here, yeah, yeah. Except to say that, and this is the only controversial thing I would say. My favorite, favorite game of the last ten years was Journey. Okay, I think it was the. It was the. You know, I was very, very glad to see that it won every game of the year award. that Yeah, year. no, it's fantastic. And it is yeah. absolutely like it's as close. I think it's as close to genuine, actual art as games have ever, ever come. Yeah, I played that game. I didn't know what to expect going in, but a friend of mine just said, "Do this. Yeah, it only takes two hours to play." Unplug the phone, turn all the lights off, don't be interrupted, just mm. play it for two hours solid. And don't like save and come back, just go all the just way through it, yeah. in one two hour session. And I did, and at the end, I mean, we all played it, right? We all played it to the end. Yeah. It was just so emotionally affecting. And I really looked like a game, it was a game that moved me in a way that I didn't think yeah. it was possible for that definitely, medium to yeah. do. I was just emotionally touched by it. Brothers, The Taylor Two Sons, I think, did yeah, it, had a similar effect on me. And I think that's where we're going. We're going towards games that are not just increasingly fun to play, which used to be the only thing we cared about. Yeah. But now it's, again, we're, we're judging games the same way that we judge more mature mediums like literature and films and television, mm. like how does, what does this say, what does this say to us? How does it make us think about our lives and the world around us? How does it emotionally move us? We never used to care about that with videos. Yeah. Now we do. And I think that's a really great sign of how that, how this medium has matured. Yeah
1: we haven't matured at all
2: but the games have
1: <laughs> it, it's, yeah. it was a suggestion of what the potential of games could be if you're not just going to go down this linear path of yeah. shoot 'em ups football games you know it was yeah just,
2: and again there's still a place for that there's still a place for like just turning your brain yeah. off and shoot things and kick a ball around mm. no one's no one's ever expecting the, the new fifa game to emotionally move us mm. but the fact that there is now a whole new it's interesting how it's talk about how things have changed it's really interesting how it's been really cyclical when i started Again, I wore an onion on my belt, which was the style, the style at the time. I am very much a Grandpa <laughs> Simpson in this conversation. Um, games were predominantly made by one person literally in a bedroom. There's, yeah. a really, I mean, there's a really interesting documentary that came out last year called From Bedrooms to Billions. That's saw that. yeah. It was about this whole, you know, this world of like, people like Andrew Braybrook and Matthew Smith who created yeah. the great games at the time. It was literally one person who knew assembly language who sat with their computer and made a game mm. and put it on a cassette tape and sold it to whoever and... Uh, it was one guy created by this one person because yeah. games were small enough, they were created in like 16 or 48K that one person could create the entire thing. Now, games are created by 250 person teams and have $100 million budgets. And so, wh- I, I, over time, it became less and less about the one really smart guy yeah. who could create something genius and put it out there with a vision. And it became, more, it became more like Hollywood movies with these hmm. big mega productions. And those games are great. But I always kind of felt bad that the kind of the one man, the kind of auteur went away. Yeah. But now it's coming back. Definitely. With, you know, yeah. Independent gaming has become a big deal. You've got people like Jonathan Blow and I guess not anymore, but for a while, Phil Fish. Phil Fish and yeah. He's really smart. And look at Notch. Notch is the perfect example. Like one, literally one guy in his bedroom who created something that became a, a, a global sensation. Have yeah. you seen the house he lives in now? It's ridiculous. So yeah. it's, it has kind of come back around. And now I think it is a little bit similar to the to the to the Hollywood movie world in that yeah. you've got these big what we would think of as like triple A movies like Star Wars and you know JJ Abrams films and you know big blockbusters. Yeah. But there's also a really vibrant, interesting, independent film scene, smaller budgets, smaller teams, where you can do things that are more daring and interesting because you don't have to worry about Definitely, you know finding yeah. a big audience. Yeah. Um, and it's similar to now what we have. You have, have your Uncharteds and your Last of Us and your Mass Effect and your Red Deads and those mega games, mm. Destiny, what have you. But you've also got um, Spelunky and yeah. Braid and yeah. Journey and Limbo and these and really, really and you know Papers Please and these games mm. that actually are again because they do because they have smaller budgets and they don't have to worry about uh, recouping massive course, development yeah, costs yeah. they can try to do more interesting and daring things and I think that a lot of AAA developers look at what the independent developers do yeah. the risks they're taking and are are inspired by that and the independent uh, scene I think is also helping move the big AAA development world towards more mature and more interesting stuff
1: definitely yeah. Cool. So uh, we normally talk about what we've been up to. Have you done, seen, watched, been anywhere, Gav, of any interest? Because I haven't done much. Other than the Super Bowl, no. Okay. Well, we're going to come to that. Yeah. Uh, wait, Gary? You've been over in the UK for a month. Yes. So what have you done in that month?
2: Yeah. So the fact that I'm here, this is me being away. This is me yeah. on an adventure, even though I'm originally from England. I've lived in America for 20 years, so my accent's kind of gone all mm. over the shop. Uh, but it's I've kind been- of Australian. Like don't say out. that's <laughs> the worst thing you can say to me i apologize to any australian uh, <laughs> uh, but I, I'm, I was i'm originally from the east end and i used yeah. to sound like someone from albert square and then i moved um <laughs> to america and you uh, picked up this weird accent anyway so i've lived there for 20 years yeah. and uh, this is actually the longest i've ever been back i've been here for a whole month mm. i came here literally to kind of finish off on star wars because the whole production's moved to pinewood now they're it's amazing the, yeah they're kind of ramping up to shoot that film um, and then the rest of my time here has really just basically been holiday because I've worked so, like, I had my head down on Star Wars for the best part of a year for so long that just uh, completely to, to the to the you know exclusion of everything else. And uh, My wife would tell you what a misery I've been to live with for the past year. <laughs> so it was actually nice to have a bit of a holiday and to come back to where I'm from. Like I said, I was born yeah. and raised in London. Uh, to be here and fortunate also to do some fun stuff. So I got to go to the premiere of uh, Kingsman. Yeah, we were Secret both,
1: Service. We were both at Kingsman Secret Service. Uh, we both enjoyed it. It's fair to say I
2: enjoyed it tremendously. I, I, well, I mean, I'm obviously biased. Because I was going to say doing... you had
1: a better reason to be at the premiere than me. So what was your reason? It was
2: for? actually really interesting. So I'm doing. So the next project that I'm doing, I'm literally starting it next week when I go back to San Francisco, is yeah. Mark Miller's uh, next film. So Mark, obviously, as people know, did Kick Ass and Wanted. And now. Kingsman of the Secret Service. And he has mm. this incredible track record of creating comic books which become movies. I yeah. don't think he has a single comic book that isn't actually like set up to be a movie somewhere. It's incredible They're even done.
1: basing um, Avengers Civil War on his Avengers. That's right, right. Yeah. so Civil War.
2: Mark, so apparently the heli, he came up with the helicarrier and all kinds of stuff that is now very cool. in and, the Avengers yeah. world. And
1: Fantastic Four is largely based on his oh, Ultimates. His, his yeah. version yeah. of that. Fantastic yeah. Four. Mm. So uh,
2: Mark's obviously a, a Titanic figure in comics. Um, you know, through his contri- contribution to the Marvel Universe and now his original stuff. So, uh, he has a book that's, that has been out and I think the graphic novel like the trade version is just coming out now called yeah. Starlight and Starlight is basically what would happen if Flash Gordon got old. So, you know, this character, this this astronaut goes into space and gets sucked through a black hole It is has this amazing um, adventure, Flash Gordon adventure saves the galaxy, but when he comes back to Earth, no one believes that he did any of that. He's got no proof, <laughs> and he becomes kind of a bit, a, a bit of a laughing stock. And he gets old and becomes kind of bitter about the fact that no one ever appreciated what he did. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you know, the spaceship lands in the back garden, and some, an alien gets out and says, "We need you to come back because our planet's been taken over again, and you were the guy that saved us before." But he's old. Now. But now he's like thirty years older and thirty pounds yeah. heavier, and like you know, the suit doesn't fit anymore. That's he has to take pills for his back. So it's kind of fun, you know. It's a, it, it, why, like, what I love about Mark is that all of his stories are great popcorn entertainment on the surface but underneath mm. they all have something to say like Definitely, kingsman yeah. is like a, a like, you know can you take a chav and turn him into james yeah. bond mm. is a hilarious idea and you can see the potential of the film and my my one takeaway from it, which I loved, is that it's, it's it's very much like the kind of James Bond film that you wish they would still made. Mm, yeah. But they don't. I mean, the new ones are great, but we all like kind of the camp craziness of the old Connery and Roger yeah. Moore films. And that's basically what they recaptured. So on the surface, that's what it is and it's a lot of fun. Mm. But what it's really about, I think, is the class struggle in England totally. and the idea of social mobility. Yeah. There's a great moment in it where Taron Egerson, the kid who plays like the kid from the Council Estate, says to Colin Firth, I'm just as if I'd have been born with the same silver spoon that you had, I would have been just as good as you, if not better. But I, you know, society never gave me that opportunity. Yeah. So, you know, especially in England where there is that idea of, definitely, yeah. you know, these different kind of class tiers. I think, I felt like the film had something to say. So, it worked out very um, brilliantly for me in that I was here in London uh, just kind of like bobbing about, looking for things to do. I was on holiday and Mark said, do you want to come to the premiere of kingsman it's next week I'm like, brilliant i'm like my hotel's just down the road from leicester square so we went and i got to meet mark and hang out with him and saw the film i said the film's tremendous fun yeah and then literally the next day kind of sat together with mark's Starlight comics like two kids having a comic swap yeah and kind of talked about what we th- what we think the movie's going to be so that's really exciting that's really exciting. yeah i yeah. can't wait
1: to see it mm. and by the time this goes out we'll have a video on the site with me and mark discussing who should play okay duke
2: McQueen. Duke McQueen is the, the is the character is the lead character and in- he's like a, a a cross between Neil Armstrong and Buzz
1: Lightyear. Yeah,
2: and Flash Gordon, I suppose, because yeah. it is very much Mark's tribute to Flash Gordon. Who does Mark want to play, or do you want? i want to give that away.
1: Um, no, he talks about it in the interview, which is on there. He's saying how difficult this is because yeah. whoever gets cast once they could go back and look at this interview and go, "Oh, you went." We've talked about these six actors, and none of them were me. Yeah. But he, um, him, and his artist originally uh, talked about him being a little bit like Liam Neeson. Okay. Although I think Liam Neeson's a bit young because this guy's supposed to be slightly past it, whereas Liam Neeson doesn't feel like he's past it at no, all at the moment. Yeah.
2: It's very interesting because, um, you know, when I went into 20th Century Fox and pitched for the job, I said to them, you know, if you're going to do this right, you need to embrace the idea that this is an older guy. The whole yeah. point of the story is yeah. about getting older mm. and kind of, and also kind of recapturing your youth. Um, but that only works if you cast someone who lives legitimately at that age. Like That's yeah. very hard to fake. You can't yep. just, like, put a grey wig on someone yeah. Um, or put some old age makeup on them, people are going to know if it's like Bradley Cooper in prosthetic makeup. Exactly, like, yeah. And so you want someone that kind of legitimately kind of feels their age. It doesn't and really fit that in It's so much of a relief to go from a project where for a year I was literally, and still am literally allowed to say pretty much nothing, <laughs> to this where you can actually go buy the comic of Starlight right now and yeah. read the whole story. Yeah, like, yeah, I can't yeah, really spoil too much because it's based yeah. on the comic. And uh, as you know, Mark is very... Big on just yeah, you know, go out and promote it. So yeah. it's a bit, been very refreshing change of pace for me. And um, like I said, I <laughs> hope that they they will they will find someone for the role that is appropriate for it, and it isn't like some kind of. We well, we've, mo-
1: we've mocked up some posters as well, which okay. will be on the site. Uh, with oh, the have The actors you? that we talked about, yeah, Kirk, I think Kirk Douglas. We mocked up one with him. Oh, so probably that a bit kind too of age, old. Yeah. No, well, no, maybe not it? quite now. <laughs> I, I only brought that one up with Mark because when I was reading it, I was seeing a younger Kirk Douglas. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but not not now. But Michael Douglas, yeah. We well, talked Clint about, Eastwood
2: was twenty years younger. Yeah, yeah that perfect. It. Yeah. Because um, you want some the idea is that, the, that this character, like like Flash Gordon, like Neil Armstrong, mm-hmm. whatever, is kind of an American icon. So the idea of like finding an actor, yeah, who also is that in themselves, yeah, um, would be great. Because he
1: said Schwarzenegger's come up in conversations, but he feels like it should be someone yeah. more all American. Although you can't get more all American than Schwarzenegger, but he's not American. Yeah. So yeah.
2: yes, he's the most American non-American. <laughs>
1: yeah. He's he's the epitome of the American dream. He just yeah. happens to be from yeah. a foreign country. I think. But who, but, but who, everyone, everyone, a bit, everyone who is the epitome,
2: epitome yeah. of the American dream is from a foreign country because that was the whole point. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. Godfather. Um, that's a bad example. Um, but you're also. Yeah, uh,
2: Scarface. Yeah. There you go. That's the American dream. That's a good dream. That's American dream.
1: Um, but you're also um, talking about your first ever novel as well abomination
2: yeah so um as i said to you before i would happily just be here just to podcast and have fun because i like to podcast and yeah. I, I do the um the tested.com podcast okay. a lot in the united states uh, and again didn't get to do it much of any much of anything for the past year because i've been so busy working on other things um so i would happily just come here just to have fun yeah uh, but it does i do have also some, have something to plug so the, timing, very much.
1: the timing is good so um, what is it? What t- I'm going to keep it
2: really, really short because the, this is the, like the plug part. I don't want to bore yeah. anyone, but um, I wanted to try and do something. So you know, I've obviously written a bunch of movies. Wrote the Book of Eli. Wrote, uh, co-wrote. Can't stress that enough. After Earth. <laughs> um, <laughs> um,
1: and you I, I literally cannot stress that <laughs> enough.
2: <laughs> and now, um, <laughs> and now worked on on Star Wars, and I'm doing Starlight. So my day job is as a screenwriter, mm. but I wanted to try and do something different. Um, and I, I tried writing, a, I wanted to do a kind of a fantasy uh, thing. And I didn't know if it would be a commercial thing as a movie. Original films are really, really hard yeah. to get made in this business. Everything has to be a franchise. Everything has to be an adaptation. There are still people to this day that come up to me and ask me what the book of Eli was based on. And when I tell them it was just an original idea. I think I vaguely did that
1: to you on Friday. They don't
2: quite understand. I remember at Comic-Con when we announced it, um, I'm still
1: not sure you're telling the truth. No, go check on a comic. It.
2: Go check it. <laughs> um, when, when, we, when when we showed the first trailer at Comic Con, I remember mm. it was like one of the big Hall H things where it was part of a Warner Brothers presentation of like oh, seven cool. different films. And it was sort of like sh- the, uh, Sherlock Holmes. The Robert Downey Sherlock Holmes was was a big thing that year. Um, uh, a bunch of like uh, I think um, the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. One right. of the Spider Man films maybe. Um, no, not Spider man, but one of the some comic book thing, yeah, and Eli, and of the seven films that they showed, Eli was the only one that wasn 't based on something else his original film and so this is this is the culture that we 've created now we literally had like a, a, a kid come up and on the microphone you know, when they 're asking the panel hmm. questions how what was what were the challenges in adapting the comic book? into the book of Eli. And the director had to say, there was no comic, but it's an original <laughs> script. And you can see that's people in the, in the, in the, in the, odd the audience going, going, what? <laughs> it's original script. So that, I mean, that's the yeah. culture we've created. Where everything is obviously, you know, we live in a world of like Marvel and Star Wars and Star Trek and Harry Potter and yeah. Twilight and Fifty Shades of Grey. and Everything's a big pre-existing property. I mean, like outside of like Chris Nolan and a, and, and a handful of other people, it's very, very, Hard to like find like great original movies, especially at that kind of triple A level, yeah. that are being made. It just doesn't happen in Hollywood anymore, and that's a little bit depressing. Um, and so, rather than try and write this idea as a film, which yeah. you know it's always an uphill struggle trying to get a film, an original film made, especially the way that I, I typically write films, they tend to be they're going to cost a lot of money, big special effects and stuff like that. Yeah. So I thought, well, I'll just write this one as a book. It's really, really it's just the thing that I discovered. And it's kind of a revelatory to me when you write a screenplay for a film, you're not writing the finished. Product that the audience will see. You're writing the blueprint for what you hope hundreds of other people will spend millions and millions of dollars turning into yeah. the final finished product that the audience will ultimately see. Um, and I've had mixed uh, re- mixed results with that. Uh, the Book of Eli, you know, whether you like it or not, that's the film that was re- that's the film that I wrote, and they pretty yeah. much shot the script that I wrote, and I look at it. And I'm very proud of it. And so, wow, that was like that's. I remember thinking at the beginning, I, that's the one that I get. Yeah. Like that's it. That's, I <laughs> that's the my, one. I played my Joker really early. They actually <laughs> oh. shot the film that I wrote because, yeah. as a writer, you don't really have any control or equity once you sign the script over. They own it. They can do whatever. They can fire you. They can mm. replace you. They can rewrite you. They can do whatever they want. And the film that comes out at the other end, it's really kind of a crapshoot. Is it going to be what I originally intended? Yeah. And with Eli, it was with After Earth. Not so much. Okay. Well, that wasn't my original idea, but the film is. It went al- changed a lot from the from the draft of the screenplay that I wrote. Um, and you know, with Star Wars, we'll see. And with everything else that I do, it's the, it's every writer will t- every screenwriter will tell you the same story, and it can yeah. often be frustrating. And it's particularly frustrating when it's something that you create yourself because that feels like your baby. But then you kind of have to give your baby up to someone else and let them. Raise it and, and turn it into the yeah. finished thing, and you don't know what's going to come back at the end. So that's hard,
0: all... especially with something like Star Wars, where you think you you know you spend a year of your life on it, and then you have no idea what's coming. Back. Well,
2: but you're also but you're also very aware of the fact that that is someone else's property that you're just very privileged mm, to even be so, yeah. allowed you know to work on. And then, yeah. I
1: imagine they're paying you well for it the, the, <laughs> that privilege as well. Um, but like I said,
2: it's it's tougher when you create something of your own, and mm. I I generally. Prefer not again with something like Star Wars. Obviously, you're going to make an exception, uh, but I prefer not to work on other people's stuff and try to create my own original things. Like yeah. again, Mark Miller has been very successful. I, I think Mark, uh, the, uh, the, uh, so even though he was like tremendously, expen- uh, tremendously, well expensive I'm sure as well, but tremendously uh, successful Marvel writer, yeah. um, decided that he just didn't want to work on other people's characters anymore. And wanted to create his own characters that he yeah. owned and went off and, and was very successful at that. So I try to do that. I try to create my own stuff and um, was got very lucky once. Don't necessarily know if I will be again. So for this next idea that I had, I thought, well, rather than write it as a, as a movie, I'm going to try writing it as a novel. Because okay. that is the finished product, right? The book yeah. that you write, obviously, it goes through an editorial process. Um, but you are ultimately the author of that product, yeah. that thing no matter that what, the audience yeah. will see, much more so than in a film where really the, the director is really the author of the film. Mm. And again, if they use your script, great. Who knows? I often, I often tell people, and people laugh when they hear the story because it seems preposterous, but this is the daily reality of Hollywood. If Stephen King wrote a novel and his publisher came back and said, well, Stephen, we love the new novel, but we're not thrilled about the third act, so we're going to sack you <laughs> and bring in John Grisham to rewrite the third act... <laughs> Uh, and maybe your name will end up in on the book. Maybe it won't. Who knows? Mm. Uh, we'll see. That you, again, you laugh wow. because it's preposterous, that's right? A and very, yet that's, very good that's, analogy. that's the daily yeah, yeah. reality of working as a writer in Hollywood. Mm. And so the idea of running it as a book, I just there was a way to kind of tell a story that would not go through that filter, through that process. And at the end of this, when the book comes out, if people like it, I can take all of the credit. And if yep. people hate it, I will take all of the blame. But, there's, I, but I, it's just, it's, it's 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 the product of one person as opposed to hundreds of person when you, don't get me wrong, I love, love working in Hollywood. And it's yeah. incredible, I like to collaborate and it's incredible amount of fun. But I wanted to try something different. Yeah. So I wrote this book called Abomination. It's kind of a fun um, mix of historical fiction and fantasy in that it's set in, England during the Dark Ages, during the reign of King Alfred the Great, but it's kind of an alternate version of history where monsters and magic okay. exist. Yeah. So it's a little bit kind of Game of Thrones, a little bit Viking invasion, and kind of I took history and fantasy and kind of mashed it all up. And it's really really fun, I think. Um, and <laughs> uh, we'll see. I mean, the people so you know the people that have read it so far seem to really like it. Oh, that's and, cool. Um, so on Monday, this is going out on Friday, right? Yeah. On the Monday, you'll be able to go to a website called Inkshares.com mm-hmm. and pre-order it. Oh, and uh, I hope people will do that. It's We're doing it in kind of an interesting way in that it's going to be kind of crowdfunded in a okay. sense. Inkshares is a company that um, I'm a big fan of crowdfunding and kind of the democratization of, of content in that yeah. it's no longer about a handful of gatekeepers that can say, well, this is what the audience is. This is what the market is going to be given to choose from. Yeah. If you look at YouTube, obviously, is like the market's decided who rises to the top and who's successful and what shows take off and so forth um and uh kickstarter is obviously if it weren't for kickstarter we wouldn't have the oculus rift we wouldn't have all kinds of cool stuff that exists today and ink shares is kind of like kickstarter for books in that we'll put it up there and you can pre-order the book and there's a certain number that they have to hit and if enough people pre-order the book it will go into full production, and everyone okay, will get yeah. their copy. Yeah. Um, but if you go to Inkshares on Monday, you will get a signed limited edition hardcover and an ebook that comes with it for free, and it's all very cool. And that's my plug.
1: Wow, uh, that was a proper plug, wasn't that was it? A good plug, plug. Yeah. That's <laughs> a, that,
2: and now normal service can be resumed. Excellent.
1: So, did you watch the Super Bowl?
2: I watched Oh my God. I'm so. You know what? I've had the worst luck in my life with sporting events where like, it's always the one where I'm like, ah, oh, I won't bother. Yeah. And it's it's like, a good one. It was like, oh my God. It's like, did amazing, you see? Yeah. I ended up missing the best one. Yeah. Like, okay, it was a few years ago. It was like the best Wimbledon final ever, and it was the only one that I missed. Yeah. Uh, so, because I'm here in the UK, of course, the time's all off. Mm. Typically on Super Bowl Sunday in the UK, sorry, in the US, where I live, especially on the West Coast, it's on in the middle of the afternoon, and yeah. you can sit and watch it, and that's your Sunday afternoon. Here, it didn't start until midnight. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, I didn't really have a dog in the fight. I'm not. I'm, I'm a San Francisco 49ers fan, mm. so I never really have to worry about the Super Bowl all that much. <laughs> um, but I've got a lot of friends uh, who are Seahawks fans because there's a lot of games. A lot of people that work at Microsoft and yeah. um, you know Bungie and places like that up there mm. uh, are big Seahawks fans. And I've got a lot of friends on the East Coast as well. Somebody yeah. said it's like packs. Prime versus Pax East. It kind of <laughs> is a little bit like that. Um, so I was like, you know, I was just kind of like made the best team win. Yeah. Um, maybe a little bit of an edge for the Seahawks because I, I feel like they're just a, a fun team. Yeah. Um, and I watched the first half and it was tied, right? 14, 14. Yes. I was like, okay, well, that's good. And then Katy Perry came on on the line. I was like, I, I just don't need yeah. it. But then it turns out that I didn't see I had to watch it on YouTube. Apparently it was really, the halftime show was really fun and really good. really good, good yeah. Like the dancing sharks and all yeah. that stuff. Um, Missy Elliott came out and did like a ten-minute. Everyone was blown away by Missy yeah. Elliott. And the other thing that bums me out in the UK is that you don't get any of the commercials. Yeah, which that's really half annoying. The reason to yeah. watch the watch the game. That's so, why you go
1: to IGN because we put the commercials up as they're being yeah. broadcast.
2: This, you see know, you're doing a nice
1: little.
2: Play. <laughs> um, so I missed. So I went back and I watched the highlights. Of course, I wake up in the morning, I turn on my phone, and it's like a million tweets going, oh, my God, can yeah, you believe yeah, what's yeah. happening? I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have gone to sleep. Yeah. And I watched the highlights, and of course, it was very interesting. Uh, the game itself was fun to watch. The Super, We've been really, really lucky with the Super Bowl in that almost all of them in the last 10 or 15 years have actually been really, really great games, yeah. either because they're really close or spectacular blowouts that are also fun to watch. Yeah. Um, and I haven't seen any of the commercials yet. Because I, cause I, I've got to find time to kind of dial them up on YouTube and watch yeah, them separately. Exactly. But it sounded like it was a good... Like, the game was good. The commercials were kind of a weird mixed bag. And that mm. some of them were, like, real downers this year. And a, yeah, yeah, well, they released a lot of them before
1: as well, which really... Nationwide was, really was odd, the one, yeah. wasn't it? Nationwide, Nationwide was, was the one, the one, one that really... really you, did you see I've it? I've not watched it. it I'm, I'm yeah, kind of yeah. scared, because
2: I've, I've got a daughter. I'm kind yeah. of scared to watch yeah. it. Well, I thought the Breaking Bad one, the one with uh, Brian Cranston, right, yeah. I thought
0: that was disgusting. Like... I I don't know, like maybe Americans give over that. I just thought it was really. Ding. It always it
2: always kind of bothers me when things that I mean, like we live in a commercial world. Yeah. I get it, and everyone needs to earn a living. Of course, but yeah. Like for, like I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a there's a I can't remember what chocolate bar it is right. where they took uh, Audrey Hepburn and they kind of photoshopped from, her yeah. like a chocolate bar into her hand it's awful, from like yeah. from I think it was from La Dolce Vita or one of the one of yeah. the other films. And I'm like. What are you doing? Like these people are be spinning in their graves. Like it's really disrespectful. Yeah. And like if like, if Brian Cranston and the people that own the rights to Walter White want to do that, yeah. more power to them. But I understand why it does leave a, a sour taste in some people's mouths. Well, have yeah. you seen those, the Liam Neeson Clash of Clans one? Was
0: apparently quite. Entertaining. Oh, no, I didn't see that one. No. Have you seen those adverts in? The, I, maybe they're only in the UK with Winston
2: Wolfe from Pulp Fiction. Yes. Oh my god. So they're only real. here in the UK, right? Yeah. It's actually really interesting to come to the UK and see like Kevin Bacon doing ads for cell phones. Oh my god. Yeah. Ask and Harvey Bacon Kytel, as Harvey Keitel. Well. Yeah. Harvey Keitel doing Winston. I presumably Tarantino's getting some money from that, right? Because he's not just you he's think playing so? the character. Yeah. He's playing the wolf. Mm. And so, and what's <laughs> weird is you never see those commercials in the in the same way that you know they do those deals where like they'll go. To Japan, to so, so Japan, yeah, and yeah. sell so a fizzy drink. Yeah. Schwarzenegger
1: but, in Japan. But there's
2: a very specific rule that those can't be shown in the US. Yeah, like yeah. it wasn't until I came to the UK a couple of years ago that I realised that over here George Clooney is as well known for Nespresso
1: yeah as he is anything oh, else. Yeah. In the US, no yeah. one knows
2: that. It's really interesting.
1: Well, Lost in Translation was about that. Wasn't exactly, right. it, was yeah, all, yeah. it was all about that. Um.
2: Um, so yeah, it's weird to see Kevin Bacon <laughs> and uh, and Harvey Keitel. <laughs> and uh, yeah all these. I can of, sort of
0: um, understand Kevin Big, but Harvey Keitel you think come on mate Harvey really? Keitel needs to feed his kids money, as yeah. much as the next guy I guess so yeah so did
1: you watch the trailers I did yeah and what was your favourite of the Super Bowl movie
2: trailers <sighs> it was always going to be Jurassic World that's always yeah. going to be like now the first trailer for that mm. landed with a bit of a thud didn't it but well, this one has turned some more people around I,
0: I don't know. I mean, I think there's a lot to be said. There's a lot in the trailers that have been shown that people can it can easily not like, I think, because there's a lot of odd things being done and a lot of different things being done from the films. But I don't know. I'm just, I'm on board. It's, I, mean, I love Jurassic Park. I love Chris Pratt. And I love Colin Trevorrow. And I think... I don't know, but I think it's going to be a really and good. And there one. is
2: basically goodwill for it, right? And when you a lot of times when people bring back like older <laughs> film series, yeah. like whether it be Terminator or mm. or whatever, there's, there's 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 sometimes some cynicism about that, but yeah. people generally like are on board with the idea of a new Jurassic Park film.
1: I found I it a so. bit underwhelming. I think part of the trouble was the CGI wasn't finished. Mm. Uh in a lot of scenes for that first trailer and we did a comparison we did a video on it yesterday and it's amazing how different it is you know yeah. lots more dinosaurs better looking dinosaurs entire backgrounds change yeah. and it's yeah. just it makes you it gives you an insight into that the process the same is true with
2: Dawn of the Planet of the Apes you could see the evolution oh, yeah, of the, the CG yeah. the trailer they've got to show something sure but it's again and, and, and what you again, what you saw on Super Bowl Sunday or mm. by the time it gets to the theatre it'll be even
1: better than I, I miss the exactly, days yeah. of, oh, and they still do it every now and then but the, the full on teaser though, the first oh, one yeah. being a teaser where it's no footage from the film but they've created Something totally. Yeah. I mean, the original Jurassic oh, the Park. Park one, it was, yeah, yeah, it was you know them finding their, the their fo- their footprint wasn't it. I remember like, and you have the water. I remember the thing, it yeah.
2: this, I mean the, the the age of the internet is for the most part brilliant.
1: Yeah. but there are
2: some things that we lost. I remember as I think it was ninety. Whatever it was, I was it was a long time ago. I remember yeah. going well, I'll tell you what it was, I went to see Highlander two, which for the most <laughs> part I try to forget about. But what I remember was so this is pre internet. Yeah. You don't usually know like this is before and now when you go to see a movie and the trailer comes up, the second it pops, I'm like, I know what this is. Because yeah. I've heard about it, read about it, I've probably seen the clips online. Yeah. It's like all information all the time and there's no surprises anymore. It's and hard, often by the time yeah. you go often by the time you go see a film, it just films like an assembly of all the clips that you've seen, but oh, with yeah with some filler in there and so it's so rare to go see a film completely dry you know completely clean and uh, I remember going to see Highlander and this trailer came up and it was like this weird factory, and they were assembling like these robot parts. And I'm going, "What the? What is this?" Oh, this and is then you hear boom, 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 boom. I was like, "They're making a new Terminator." I had no idea they're making <laughs> yeah. a new Terminator film. And you see the head, the road, You can go. It's one of the most famous it's teasers great. of all time. Yeah, remember, yeah, this yeah. is He's, a robot factory. Yeah. And then the guy steps out, and it's Schwarzenegger. And I remember just losing, losing my. I was like, "Oh my god!" Because I had no idea. Yeah. yeah. But now, of course, like we'd look, look, look at the new Terminator film now. Like it's all been dripped and drabbed out as we go, and people just aren't super excited as much as no yeah, yeah. because like we knew we heard when it was announced we heard all the casting you hear every little thing from every fan site and by the, yeah. time, by the time the trailer comes out it almost feels like anticlimactic well, mine, yeah. i miss those days film crit hulk who's a guy that i like to follow on twitter who yeah, writes he a good, lot of yeah. very intelligent stuff about film hmm. mentioned that he stopped watching trailers a couple of years ago he just won't watch them yeah because you can make the choice not to watch it yeah. Definitely, go yeah. into the theater after the trailers have shown just don't click play on the button so I'm probably not you doing any, doing you any favors here. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you need your clicks. Yeah, or um, <laughs> well, we but, just did a 20
0: minute video about the two minute fantastic four trailer. That's
2: funny, <laughs> but he mentioned that his life as a film go and his appreciation and enjoyment of films got a lot better. Yeah, just going in and not knowing
1: anything about yeah, it. Yeah, I sometimes mm. shut my eyes. Do you really? Yeah. yeah. So I can hear what's being said, but I can't see the visuals and that doesn't spoil it as much for me. Yeah. But I look weird. I look weird if you look around and you see Doing me this. I'm just like... Yeah. Um, but th-
2: you can't help yourself though. Like when the Force Awakens trailer came out. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I was like, what? I'm just not going to click on it. I'd much rather just go in and see it cold as much mm, as the next yeah. guy. Um, and five seconds later I was watching. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can't help it. Yeah. I had no discipline well, at well, all. Well,
1: my favourite of the Super Bowl teasers was the one that felt the most like a teaser. It was Tomorrowland which is the new Brad Bird film, mm-hmm. and it's a it's it's shrouded in mystery a bit they've like done,
2: and they've done a good job with a that, bit yeah. like
1: Super Eight I think Super Eight was the last film that really tried to do that where you right. really didn't know until you went in to see that movie what oh, it was yeah, about good, yeah. and, and you know they they just put clues there and it's a really nice little mm. teaser, um, and I just like that mystery I like having that mystery that there's a whole new world there and you know you talked about earlier the fact that it was you know if you look down the list I think ninety percent of these are sequels yeah you know remakes. Tomorrowland's the one that's...
2: Is there, in fact, an original... Apart from Tomorrowland, is there an original film on that list? Well, um... That's not. Do you that's got a com- You've
1: got a comedy called Unfinished Business, Okay, but that's kind okay, of Okay, but well, look at okay, Look,
2: Fifty Shades of Grey, no. Ted 2, no. no. Pitch Perfect 2, no. Furious 7, no. Jurassic World, no. Seventh Son, no. Avengers 2, no. Divergent, no. Hot Tub Time Machine 2, no. Kingsman, no. Minions, no. Terminator, no. So two out of what? A dozen? <laughs> yeah. Remember what I was just saying? This is yep. the world we live yeah. in. Yeah
1: yep.
0: 7 but for
1: me that was why it was the most exciting one though because you know I was just seeing a bit more Avengers I'd seen footage before we'd seen the first film I just like seeing new stuff and we just don't see nearly enough of it Mm. it's yeah, gets me down.
2: It is hard. So what, the one that I the one that I probably saw the most traffic on, like the people that got the most chatter, was Furious Seven because mm. they're driving cars between in, in yeah. between skyscra- skyscrapers Wh- now, yeah. which
1: surprised me because that was in the first trailer that yeah. scene of the car going between the two buildings. But I, I guess- want to know what
2: scene that, that there, I'm like, I have to see the film because I just want to know the context for that. Like, how do they set that up?
1: Yeah. Exactly. How yeah. in the
2: story do they get? Because this is often what happens in Hollywood. They will say, okay, we want a scene where Vin Diesel. Drives a car out of the window of one skyscraper yeah. and crashes into another one. <laughs> now figure out how to get us there in the script, and you'll have to, you'll have like to figure I don't it out how yeah. no, I, I went to, <laughs> I, Just make it happen. I yeah. went to Q
1: and A Q&A with Jackie Chan uh, before Christmas, and that was exactly what he was talking about. He said, "I come up with the stunts, the yeah. set pieces. and then I tell I tell them, and then they've got to write a story yeah. around it." Yeah, <laughs> maybe the... A
2: lot of Hollywood filmmaking's done that way. Sure, Mission yeah. Impossible Two was made that way, where John Woo had like a half dozen set pieces that he knew he wanted, yeah. Yeah. and the job of the writer. Is to just kind of like thread them all yeah. together, yeah. And narratively, we bombed, and
1: we bond it as much about the locations. Right, we've yeah. got these five locations for this one. Let's let's write the story around them and the action yeah. set
2: pieces. Yeah, absolutely. There's a really famous
0: Kevin Smith story where he talks about writing his Superman draft, and he said, "No matter what, in the third act, has there to has to fight to a, be a, giant a giant spider." spider.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so those were the teasers. Um, any other news? You you, you had a, I gave you a little bit of news, Gav, that was you kind did, of a yeah. bit off the wall. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I like like to, like I'd like it. to get I'd like to get Gary's feedback on it Uh-oh, okay what is it
0: I'll it's read all it all in, right? in my it's best it. news voice
2: is this is this going to something I don't know
0: about is no no affirmate? no it's not it's just a okay. wacky wacky, <laughs> wacky, <laughs> wacky right, news this week that go I'm on cool. then <laughs> school suspends boy for threatening another boy with the one ring <laughs> A Texas boy has been suspended from school for threatening to make his classmate disappear via the One Ring from the fictional world of the Lord of the Rings. Aidan Stewart, a nine-year-old from Kerman Elementary School, was suspended for threatening another child with purported magic powers. According to Aiden's father, Jason, the Stewart family had, j- had just seen the Hobbit Battle of Five Armies the previous weekend, inspiring Aiden to bring a ring to school and tell a classmate that he was going to make him disappear by putting it on. I assure you my son lacks the magical powers necessary to threaten his friend's existence. Jason Stewart wrote in an email to the New New York Daily News if he did I'm sure he'd bring him right back
2: where did this happen
0: because uh, I want to say Florida Elementary. where
2: was it Kermit Elementary Kermit yeah where's Kermit Elementary and where is where is this in the UK or in the US no this is in the States yeah if you're going News, to a school so, yeah. named after a Muppet I think <laughs> no, you're in trouble
1: <laughs> you're in trouble from the start you said it before me <laughs> <laughs> that's just a wonderful little story though isn't it, it it's is nice good. did you see the one the other day about the kid who got a bill for not showing up at another kid's that. birthday yeah. party yeah.
0: it's awful <laughs> what what has happened to the wall I know it's terrible but there I... was
1: more to that story than met the eye I heard though oh really yeah like but... what uh, I think there'd been some agreement about the payment or something. Oh, I don't know. Oh, right, that. Okay, not the... No, ring that one. one no, Yeah, it. no, that one. He really did have the one ring. That's what they've not mentioned there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah he actually could have done it. So it actually was a real terrorist the kid, threat.
2: The kid is called Harry Potter. He actually <laughs> he was, was carrying yeah. a weapon of mass destruction in his pocket.
1: <laughs> uh, the other bit of news this week is, is Better Call Saul is finally okay, coming yeah. to Netflix. So we've got our review up already. We gave it 8.7 out of 10. Oh, really? Um, weirdly, it's, it's coming to Netflix in the States. The first two episodes on Sunday night, yeah, and it's coming to the UK. The first episode Monday morning, seven AM. The second episode Tuesday morning, seven AM. What are they doing? Which makes it a kind of it doesn't give you an easy point of entry, does it?
2: Didn't they do Breaking Bad the same way though, where it would show on it would show in, on American television on Sunday night, and it would be on UK ne- Netflix the, the Netflix. following morning. It was right, just the yeah, final yeah.
1: series, and it's why so many people I know actually signed up to Netflix. It yeah, a brilliant. Oh, it was a huge them. driver, amazing. Yeah, because
2: yeah. what happened was it's interesting if you look if you chart the audience of breaking bad you know yeah. it starts very small and then because it's such a good show word yeah. starts to get out yeah. oh you got to watch breaking bad it's on yeah. netflix and you see it go up and up and up to the point where by the time everyone had caught up on netflix and mm. the, the, the ratings for the final season were just astronomical
1: yeah was well,
2: so, it's not on BBC Two over here, and then it sort yeah, of... It was one of those ones they shifted yeah. it
1: around, that It'd be 11pm on a Sunday. Exactly, and, then... and they
0: showed three episodes yeah. or something like that. Yeah, yeah. no, it was,
1: it was hard to grab a hold of. Yeah. But how do you feel about Better Call Saul? Because I know when they first announced it, I thought, I don't need this in my life. Yeah, I don't. I, don't I think I was all. saying to you the other day, I, I've got, sometimes with prequels, just generally, I have a bit of a problem with them.
2: I, um... I was a little bit cynical when I first heard about it because I think often the model in television is that once you make a hit, yeah, don't let it go. Yeah, it's why you often see the last film in a big franchise getting split into two because they just don't want to say goodbye. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's like, did like did the Hobbit really need to be three films? Probably not. Uh, did the last maybe the last, last Harry Potter one did I don't know but like you know the last Twilight the last there's a reason why like the last Twilight film, the last Harry Potter film the Hunger last ins, Insurgent Hunger mm. Games they're all going to be two films is because they know the gravy train is coming to an end and they want to just like extend yeah. it out for as you know why make a ton of money on one film when you can make twice as much money on two so it's a very commercial decision yeah. and you know I think creatively they'll I think all of these shows will actually be good but you know there's, there, there's a reason why there's going to be a Walking Dead spin-off show yeah. there's a reason why there's now a Breaking <clears throat> Bad spin-off show AMC has had which is the network that makes yeah. these shows in the United States has had tremendous success with uh, The Walking Dead and Breaking Bad and Mad Men mm. and then they and then but the second generation of shows that they've tried has been no, very agree. hit and yeah. miss mm. so you can understand a little bit why they've gone back to the well and like while we try and find the next Breaking Bad yeah. Yeah. would you just make the next Breaking Bad for us please yeah. mm. Because um, so I was a little bit cynical when I first heard it because I'm looking at it from a, I see what they've done there. They just yeah. don't want let to let this go. But as we get closer to learning more about the show and it actually does look like it's genuinely very good. Yeah. And I don't think Vince Gilligan, who's a guy I admire tremendously, mm. would have done it for any money if he yeah. didn't yeah. think there was a valid, if there was a real show to be yeah, made there. I think that's right. Yeah. So I, I, I trust him. If Vince Gilligan tells me, this is a legitimate thing that Breaking Bad fans are going to love and, yeah. and that there's a creative reason for this to exist, I trust and believe it and I will watch it and I have a strong suspicion it's going to be really good. Mm. Yeah. And it
1: sounds like he goes on a similar journey almost because at the start of this one, Saul Goodman is not the Saul that we meet in Breaking Bad. Right, okay. He's not quite. A, he's not dealing with as bad a people. He's not dealing with the darkness. Right. And so it's kind of watching his journey in the same way to Walter White who starts out a very different man to yeah. the one he ends up as. That's interesting, so, then, yeah, because I've sort of avoided everything about it for the same I reason I just well, thought it couldn't be asked with it. And he's a great
2: character. I mean, you know, in the original Breaking yeah. Bad, you're always happy when Bob Oden- Odenkirk's on the yeah, screen, He's yeah, right? a tremendous yeah. character. Yeah. And, you know, it's not. You know, you can imagine this just like as a as a, as a okay, the show is here's this colourful, very shady. But yeah. actually the thing I loved about Saul Goodman is that he you know he comes in wearing the cheap, badly coordinated suit mm. and looks like the only lawyer that you can afford. But the reality is he was actually really shrewd and a really sharp lawyer. Yeah. And you know, very very good at what he did. Definitely. Yeah. Um and so the idea of that character and he's got all these kind of shady, wacky clients, like you can see that as like a Fox show. Yeah. But the the version of this where you're taking a character that we already know and love and, you know, I think they've probably done a very good, you know, everyone's into universe building these days, you yeah. know, it be Marvel or whoever that, you know, they've obviously got five years of Breaking Bad that they can refer to and, you yeah. know, Mike's obviously back as well. Yeah. And oh, yeah, and I suspect that down, him, yeah. The, yeah. La- down the line, you know, Brian Cranston and, and, and Aaron will show up as well. Mm. Um. And I'm yeah, I'm excited for it. I think it's going to be and again it's purely because I always look at well, who's doing it. Yeah. If Vince Gilligan had said no and they'd, and they'd bust in some other crew to do it, I'd be very very cynical about it. Yeah. But given that it is Vince who, you know, and again Breaking Bad is probably the best television program of this generation. Mm. Did you watch the the finale of it? I was like I can't remember when I was so on the edge of my seat and I was yeah. so sad to see it go because it was such a great show but also mm. kind of relieved because i got to a point where i almost didn't look forward to watching it every week because that last season was so yeah. stressful yeah. um it was a masterpiece of television and, which is and, an
0: event as well breaking bad was such a huge event like i watched it with the guys i work with we all got together in the big meeting
2: room on a big screen and watched it all
0: together and then sat around for just it was actually quite emotional
2: it. because you remember it's a tremendous amount of uh especially the last season being as good as it was mm. um just a tremendous amount of expectation and pressure for what that, yes. like. how do you wrap yeah. that up? And we've seen so many finales of shows yeah. that couldn't possibly live up to the hype. Mm. And at the end of it, I need to go back and, and, and watch it another time. But all I, I just watched it the one time that, that when it was on live, and I remember sitting there, thinking, "Yeah, they did it. That's the yeah. right end to the mm. show. They pulled it off, and it's incredibly difficult to do that."
1: Yeah, I just heard an interview recently with Larry David saying why he won't do a finale to *Curb Your Enthusiasm* because he said people were so pissed off with Seinfeld. They had a bad experience. <laughs> <as> <laughs> and he said, I th- he said, "And he said to this day, I think we did all right. I think yeah. we, we we wrapped it up in in the way it should have wrapped up. But so many people are annoyed with me that sod it. I'm just not going to bother. You know, I won't do it again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. just do
2: got- a Just to just say that was the last episode. Yeah. But not yeah. everything has to be." Some event where everyone says goodbye, yeah, you know, yeah, in a narrative yeah. show, in a serialized show like Breaking Bad, obviously the story has to come to a conclusion, but in like an episodic, um, it's really, really weird. I have one of my guilty pleasures used to be CSI Miami. Okay. And you know, which is not a, a narr- not a serialized show. It's case of the week. Yeah. And they went, it's interesting when they went into, um, the, what was, what proved to be their final season, they mm. didn't know if they were going to get picked up for another season or not. So they didn't know if they were making the series finale, the season finale, or the series finale. That's good, isn't it? Um, and so they just they, they kind of wrapped up just away way with like all the people from the CSI lab. Yeah, I can't believe we're talking about CSI in Miami. <laughs> uh, but it is a good guilty pleasure show. We're just sitting around, just like having a drink, and everyone's happy. Yeah. And so they could go and make another season if they wanted to. Yeah. But if they didn't, that's it's they, they all lived happily wrong. ever yeah. after. Yeah. So they just left it, and it was just it wasn't so much a a finale as it was just the last episode yeah they and didn't leave you hanging but sometimes that's okay yeah that's why I hope they do
0: if they do bring the X-Files back that's why I hope X-Files is like it's like CSI Miami like it's a case <laughs> it's a monster of the week episode every single week they don't bother with the overarching sort of conspiracy stuff and it's just monster of the week every week
1: I feel like that's the thing now though yeah. you've got to have this season long yeah you've got to have something like that it's become more prevalent since X-Files than, than yeah, less hasn't it maybe but that's my hope mm. we will see um so Gary, while we've got you here, I wanted to talk to you about writing, how you broke into journalism, and then how you've made this kind of transition through all these different forms of media as well. Like, what's that journey been like? I've been really,
2: really, really fortunate in that the, the two things that I loved growing up as a kid, I got to do them both professionally. I had mm. careers in both. Uh, I grew up loving video games, and I grew up loving films. And um, I left school at 15. I hated school. Couldn't wait to get out. Mm. Um, and the only thing I was ever good at or interested in at school was writing. English was the only thing I ever really enjoyed doing. Um I was terrible at maths, terrible at everything. I forgot half this. I'd spent four years learning French and German. I can't don't speak a word of it now. Yeah, and I can't remember any of it. So most of what I learned at school went to waste, but I was always very interested in English, and I would do extra. I would write little short stories in school and got a reputation as a bit of an apple polisher for my English teacher because I did extra much because I enjoyed doing it. Yeah, And then I couldn't wait to get out, and I was playing video games, uh, and I used to read... Commodore User and Zap64 and these magazines that I used to enjoy. And I started writing my own game reviews and at 15, got an interview at Commodore User to go and be a a freelance game reviewer for them. Mm. And went and I was literally doing my GCSEs in the morning and then going into Commodore User's office and writing game reviews in the afternoon. And as soon as I was done with my exams, I went and got I had a staff job at Commodore User and then from there, worked on a magazine called The One for 16-Bit Games. And then Computer computer Video Games, what later became CVG. Mm-hmm. Um, and worked for a long time in the game industry on in the UK. Uh, Went to Future Publishing. Helped launch the original UK version of PC Gamer. And then three years later, when they launched an American version, they asked me to come out and kind of look after it. Oh, cool. And I did that. Um, partly because it seemed like it would be a fun thing to do, like a year in America, but also because I was secretly, like, what I really wanted to do was write movies. And I thought, well, that will get me that much closer. closer. And because it's changed a little bit now, but Mm. when I was a kid, it was the idea of writing... The kind of stuff that I loved, like Star Wars, Star Trek, Battlestar Galactica, even stupid shit like Knight Rider. Mm. You know, all the I grew up on all the Glen A. Larson shows, and I love yeah. those shows, and just genre, just fun stuff. And I used to I used to read, you know, Douglas Adams and all kinds of science fiction growing up, and I loved all of it. And I wanted to do that, but beyond like Doctor Who and Blake Seven, there's nothing like that on British. There's a weird kind of snobbery yeah. towards it, and still is today, I think. Like Doctor Who is the number one show that the BBC has. It's their biggest, I think alongside Top Gear, is like their biggest global export. But the reality is I think the people at the BBC are kind of embarrassed by it. They would much rather be making Wolf Hall and, you know, fancy costume dramas and, um, you know, what, what they consider real drama. And I think there's a weird institutional bias towards science fiction and fantasy and anything genre, anything that might actually entertain an audience is a weird kind of... Bias against it. And so I thought, well, if I want to make the stuff that I want to make, it's not going to happen here in the UK. I'd rather just go where that stuff is the norm. Mm. So I'll try and break into Hollywood. And so going to America was like half of that. And then... I worked on a on a on a uh, the American version of Total Film magazine for a mm. while, and then what happened was in the year two thousand there was a big dot com crash, and a lot of my, the company I worked for lost a lot of money, laid a ton of people off, and I had I got some redundancy money, and I had about a year mm. uh, if I li- basically just lived on you know. Pot noodles for a year. I could and, and like the cheapest lived as frugally as possible. I could live for about a year without actually having to do any work, like paid work. That's the dream, right there. <laughs> well, it's, it's not quite as glamorous, not quite as fun <laughs> as you might imagine. Sitting around in your underpants, eating pot noodles, and trying to think <laughs> of film ideas. But I, I, always said to myself when I was working in games magazines, like mm. I, I would try to do the film thing as a sideline. But I just, who has the time? You don't get
0: time now. Yeah. And
2: then suddenly, I've got all the time in the world. So I was sitting around. And I thought, okay, well, I had the ideas for films that I wanted to write, but I'd never actually sat down and really done it. Mm. Um, And I thought, okay, well, I'll I'll give it a try. And I wrote, over the course of a year, I think five or six different feature film scripts, just as kind of a learning, just like I'm kind of much more of an autodidact than I am someone who, like, I don't learn very well from books or from being taught things. And I actually think there's a a very um, uh, somewhat disingenuous culture of read this uh, teachers and books that promise to to teach you the formula of writing a hit film which is all bollocks a lot of it is nonsense no one knows the formula to write a hit film and if I and if they do trust me there's much more money to be made writing hit films than there is writing books about how to write hit films so um, a lot of these people are complete charlatans and frauds and I always think that for me the best way to learn was just to absorb and consume by osmosis as much as possible so I would watched a lot of films anyway, read a lot of film scripts, which is, was hard to do back in the day, because this is before the internet was fully what it is now, and it yeah. was hard to find film scripts. Now it's really, really, one of the great advantages is it's really, really easy to go onto the web and find m- the, the movie scripts of, you know, great movies. You can go find the scripts for all the Oscar movies this year. Like, if your favorite, pick your favorite movie you and go find it. You can find the script of the book. If you like, you can find yeah. all these scripts that are out there. Um, and for me, I just read those. I was like, okay, look at what they do and basically try and learn from them. And so I read a lot of scripts and wrote a bunch of my own, and each one was slightly less terrible than the last until I finally found, finally wrote one that was, I th- would, wouldn't be embarrassed to show someone, and I sent it off to a bunch of agents and managers, and you you, you can find lists that will sh- that will. Um, uh, resources that will give you lists of people that accept unsolicited queries. Okay. Like you can't just send your script to CAA. They will yeah. send it back to you unopened. They don't just accept scripts from anyone. But there are management companies and producers that are always on the lookout for new material and will read your script. Mm. And I sent it to a bunch of those, and uh, there was a management company that liked it and signed me as a writer. Yeah. And um, wrote another script after that, which was the first thing that I kind of got optioned by a production company, and then kind of jobbed around for a long time in the kind of the minor leagues of the film writing business just working with little films like there's a really bad uh jason statham jet lee film called war that i worked on okay. where i wrote some of the dialogue for that and like, i don't have a credit on the film <laughs> or anything because when you come in and like just fix little things you generally don't yeah. but i did some work on that got to hang out with statham he gave me a ride in the transporter car it was brilliant <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> cool. was my best, that was my best story from working on that film <laughs> that's um, worth it, just yeah for that was that was that was the, mm. the good thing that came out of it um And then I wrote Eli as a spec, and we sold that. And then once you sell like an actual film to a studio, and it gets someone like Denzel Washington attached, suddenly all these doors that you didn't know existed before open to you and people want to come and talk to you about working on bigger films. So from that, I got to work. I worked on the Warcraft movie. Uh, I worked on Akira, uh, which I don't think is ever going to be made, but Warner (laughs) Brothers just keeps trying to make. it has been like six writers on it since me. And I've worked on a bunch of other films. I did the Will Smith movie, After Earth. Um, and then Star Wars, and I've been working on. You know, I've I've also been doing the game stuff as as well. It's been really really interesting that not just kind of going from games and into films. Yeah. As I kind of transitioned from that, as someone who now is a film writer, but has a legitimate background in video games because I did it for twenty years. Yeah. Just as I was doing that, we were seeing. Kind of we talked about this earlier? Kind of the maturity of games. Where now games are trying to figure out how to tell better stories. Yeah. And so someone coming from a games background who now works in storytelling people would come to me and say can you help us do this so i've worked on a bunch of different video games um most most well known probably the the first season of the walking dead that telltale did I was a story consultant on that and wrote one of the five episodes, and that was really well received. That's a huge thing; like everyone loved that. It. it was like top. Yeah, of it was really list. kind of yeah. a watershed moment, I think, in people because mm. Telltale Games a few years ago used to be just kind of this scrappy little company that made yeah. like strong bad and Salmon Max games, and now they're one of the biggest developers. You know, they're doing Definitely, Game yeah. of Thrones and Walking Dead, and they're doing a Minecraft you know narrative yeah. game, and they're this you know suddenly they're this huge deal, and that was all off the success of the Walking Dead. And what happened yeah. after that was a lot of game companies, I think, woke up to. Again, we talked about this before. Like back in the day. When a video game came out, you go, well, the story's crappy, but like, who cares? It's a video game. Yeah. You can't get away with that anymore. No. If you have a game that has a story and the story's no good, you'll get dinged for that. And rightly so, because the expectation now for off the back of the work of companies like Naughty Dog and, and Bungie and Bioware and Telltale yeah. has created a higher expectation for how good a story is told in a video game. Definitely, and when a yeah. story is crappy or story's not there... You miss it now because yeah. we've played other games, and Journey's another, Journey's another game that does beautiful storytelling. Yeah. Um, so off the back of that, I ended up consulting on a lot of different video games. So it's actually kind of fun for me that I that's get cool. to do what I like to do now, but in yeah. a medium that I still because I still play all the games. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of a long-winded answer to have you, what have, happened.
1: Have you got any tips for aspiring screenwriters? Then,
2: um, you know, it's really interesting. You, you know, you were saying earlier, like you. There's always that question of how do you get into the games journalism business? And Mm. there's no real way in. Like, you don't go to games journalism school. You know, you just know a lot about games and love them. And hopefully you can write a little bit as well. And, you know, you'd kind of learn the rest along the way. Um, And I think the same is true of film. Like, you can, of course, go to film school worked for George Lucas, worked for Brian De Palma and, you know, Spielberg, and all these great filmmakers. But for every filmmaker that I know working in the business who went to film school, I know another one who just kind of learned by doing and just made their own films in their back garden and and just kind of did it their own yeah. way. So you, there's no, you know, route one into films. I, I think this is true with any kind of creative endeavor. I mean, J.K. Rowling just wrote you know sat in a train station and wrote the Harry Potter books and yeah. was rejected by like 30 different publishers can you imagine if you are one of the publishers that turned down Harry <laughs> Horrible, Potter it? how do you ever live that down yeah. one of my favorite things to do is to there's a great website that has all the rejection letters from oh wow awesome. like you know the like the like the record label that turned down U2 and the record label that turned down the Beatles like yeah, those, yeah. all those letters still exist like, That's the cool. fa- like the famous one of course is you know the Fred Astaire one the I Fred Astaire audition where the guy wrote, can't sing, can't dance. Oh, yeah, yeah, Sorry, can't sing, can't act, can dance a little. Yeah. And that turned out to be Fred Astaire. So no one knows. Yeah, you know. ju-
1: uh, on that subject, I saw it the other day, John, John Cleese has it framed in his office, the letter saying, faulty towers didn't like the script. Oh, yeah, that's oh, what, yeah, just, yeah, terrible. It just yeah. isn't funny. Right. That's
2: yeah. what they said. So, you know, and that, I think, I, I actually find that tr- great solace when, because every writer goes, I think anyone in any creative field goes through this. You have that sense of like, you're not good enough and this is gonna be terrible and everyone yeah. hates you um you're gonna lose like the joe hallenbeck mantra <laughs> and it's especially true in writing i when at the beginning of my career um i was very fortunate to um uh meet with and spend a day with frank darabont who's a writing hero of mine. yeah and i told i was like i was just getting started i hadn't sold anything and he very kindly it was really weird what happened was like some he had done the mist i think and um on a message I don't I didn't really go on message boards anymore but I used to back in the day yeah and I was um, actually just
0: looking to see your NeoGAF post about uh, the Star Wars trailers uh,
2: trainer, sorry yeah yeah so I mean oh, yeah, like yeah. I've basically given all, it's, it's weird you can't really be a professional and go on NeoGAF and, and do, like you don't see you know Simon Kinberg and David Benioff <laughs> and you know Ryan Johnson hanging out on message boards very much yeah. because you kind of have to put that away when you go become a Definitely, professional yeah you can't I mean there are. Aaron Sorkin used to go on and like get into flame wars with, with people <laughs> and so you know if you more power to you but like for me it just became like I just, I just I, and, and, again, who has the time yeah um but so I used to be on I used to be on this film message board and and people were kind of ragging on um the mist and yeah. I wrote back and said uh my comment was like but this is the guy who made the short like you can't really give Frank darren too much even if he made a film that's not that great yeah um this is like you only if you made just, made just one film that great, you're good forever, forever. like someone yeah. like someone did a thing the other day on on one of the websites that was. Um, if you look at all all of George Lucas all of, all of Lucas films, other films yeah. other than Star Wars and Indiana Jones they're not really that great, like Willow, Radio Land Murders, Red yeah. Tails. Like, there aren't really many other like really great films that this yeah. film made. Okay. But, I, but I made the point, that's like saying, what has Jonas Salk ever done besides cure polio? <laughs> like once you've created Star Wars and Indiana Jones, you're pretty much you're right. good. For, like, that, <laughs> yeah. You don't have to make anything. You're pretty much good for the rest of your life. Yeah. You've contributed more than enough. And so I made the same point about the Shawshank Redemption. And then I got this weird private message from Frank Darabont saying, I don't post <laughs> on that board, but I do lurk. And I just wanted to say I appreciated your comment. Thank you very much. You must
0: have thought it was a wind-up.
2: Bro. No, no, no. It really, it genuinely was, was... I can't remember. He wrote something that I was like, this is the, the real okay, guy. Yeah. Now, when you're a writer trying to break in, you will jam your finger into any little crack that opens. That you think, And so I wrote back saying, hey, I really appreciate that. I'm, a, I'm an aspiring writer. If you have any advice for me. And he said, come to my house. Oh, and, wow. and I'll talk to you about writing. I was like, this is brilliant. So I went to Frank Darabont's house and he was a lovely, lovely man. Yeah, And I sat with him for a bit. um, And I remember saying to him, actually, no, I can't tell you that part because that's super secret. But (laughs) (laughs) um, but I remember saying to him, uh, talking about the terror of the blank page. Like Mm. when you try to sit down and create something and you look at the blank page and that's when that voice starts up. You're terrible. You can't write. Everyone's going to hate this. You're an imposter. Everyone's going to realize you're a fraud. And, and he said, yeah, I know. It's terrible, isn't it? And I was like, wait, hold on a minute. That, you wrote The Shawshank Redemption. He was like, yeah, it never goes away. Yeah, Like, it doesn't matter what you've done. And the next script that I sit down and write, I'll go through that exact same process. You're a fraud. People are going to realize that you just got lucky that one time. Yeah. And it, it's, it's a real thing. It's called imposter syndrome. And I remember thinking, like, at the time, I don't know if that makes me feel better or worse, that even the best and most accomplished people in the industry go through it. Yeah. Or... It, that's kind of depressing to think. No matter how much you accomplish, you'll always be haunted by that. But I actually think it's what keeps you honest. The fact Definitely. that the, the, the voice that's telling you you're going to suck and no one's going to like this next thing. Like I've got this book coming out. This is, I promise, I'm not playing, but they have this book coming out, and I'm terribly, terribly nervous about it because what if people don't like it? And you make yourself every time you have a, I went through this with Eli. I went through it with After Earth. I'm sure it'll, you know with Star Wars down the road. Like every time you contributed to something creatively, yeah, you put yourself out there and you make yourself vulnerable in a way that you don't do in any other field and i actually came to look at my years as a critic very differently because i a very very once you've seen how the sausage is made and how much hard work goes into the creation of something you i i I came to have a very different view of like how criticism works and i have very little time for the i have a a lot of time for like informed criticism and i think that people that write good analysis of like films or games or whatever contribute something to the culture and they they help us come to a better understanding of the medium and they help make films better and yeah. games better but I have no time at all for like the drive-by snark of the internet where people just take kind of te- 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 cheap pot so- shots at things and yeah. move on like when people say oh I could have made a better movie than that really Do it then. <laughs> honestly try it even a real even a mediocre film is really really hard to make and it's yeah. actually a minor miracle when a good film is made it's really really hard Um and so that idea that that never goes away is what keeps you honest. And I've been to writing conventions and the people that come up to me and like, oh, I've written this thing, but like, I don't know if it's any good. I'm like, You're, it, there's a good chance it is good because the fact that you've got that voice at the back of your head constantly telling you it's not good yeah. is what's making you work harder. It's when the guy comes up to you and says, I've written a script and this is the dog's bollocks and it, you don't need to change a word of it. It's the best script ever written. I guarantee you that script is probably crap and that guy is not going to work in the business at all because... <laughs> He doesn't I have that voice. Well, it, it, well it, it, but it's also just the idea that one, I guarantee once that once your script goes into the Hollywood system, it's going to get pulled apart, torn mm. apart. You're going to get 50 pages of notes. Yeah. And if you're not able to deal with that, as many writers aren't, you're not going to last five minutes in that yeah. business. So I'm still haunted by that idea of I'm terrible, I'm going to suck. But I think like uh, if you look at writers who are, I remember Russell T. Davis, a Doctor Who guy, and... Most accomplished writers, when you look at um, Louis C.K., who just did a big interview about this, yeah. that everyone that you look up to, I want to be like that guy, we'll tell you the same thing. Yeah, we're all terrified of failure all the time. And that is, in fact, the thing that drives you to do your best work. Amazing. Mm. I don't know if I even, if I even answered the question there. I wonder I if i so, a I think so, yeah.
1: I think that's good. One specific tip you gave to me, though, was to read unmade scripts. Yeah. Which I think is a really good idea mm. because I do find myself reading scripts, but because they're films you know and love, you know what's coming next. And so you're not thinking about it in those terms. Whereas I guess if you don't know, if it's something you've never read and never seen before, then yeah. you're thinking more about the structure and understanding more about what works and what
2: doesn't. Yeah, it's, I mean, there's two ways to do it. I mean, I, um, I still need to send you that list, actually. It's yeah, uh, 25, like, isn't it? Yeah, so I have, like, 20... When people ask me, like, what would you recommend I read? Yeah. Like, because I want to be a screenwriter. Like, what books or whatever. I said, I said, don't read books. Read scripts. Read. Yeah. Read what a good script is, and you'll just, hopefully, through osmosis, just... Learn what works and what doesn't, yeah. and there's like a list I've got of like 20 scripts, some of which have been made, some of which haven't been made. Mm. Um, oh yeah, and, send that over. To well, us, we? it, well, it's well, yeah. it's interesting to look at. Again, you can read the scripts to a film that you've seen mm. and and love, and it's fascinating to look at the difference between what was on the page and then what was made. But if you want to get a sense of like how a script really works, because again, a film, a, a script isn't the finished product. Mm. All it, it it's a blueprint. It's it's meant to. ...give you a sense of what the finished film can be. And in the course of 110, 120 pages... ...and as few words as possible... Yeah. ...you have to, for a director, for an actor... ...for all the people that are going to make the film... ...evoke and paint in their mind... ...as much of a, as much of a picture of what the film is and can be. Yeah, um, And that's really, really hard. And so watching a film... And then reading the script is interesting, but you won't the your reader of the script's gonna be prejudiced by the fact that you saw the film. Yeah. And what whatever imagery, like if you read the script to die hard, that's a great script to read, but you're gonna see Bruce Willis running around in your head. Yeah. Um, if you read the script like read a great unproduced script, and there's a number of ones that I could recommend. There's nothing for you to fall back on, like however, however much of the the sense of a film, like you, a great script you're reading, you're like you you were like, I feel like I saw the movie. Yeah. But if you already saw the movie, you don't get a, a, a real way to get at that. But if you just read a great script for a film you haven't seen and at the end of it, you're like, wow, that, that felt like watching the film. That's a great script. OK. And those and those are the ones that I would recommend that people read. Maybe as a maybe as an addendum to this. Um, I'll come up with a list with some links and you can put it on the website and people can go click on links and read some very unproduced spreads. Yeah, that would be, really yeah, be
1: cool mm. yeah great good stuff it's good advice there right we should power through some of this now Gav sorry yes, have I been going been, on a no no, bit. no it's Weird. good no it's been very interesting but there's a couple of interesting uh, emails here I have one from Colin Fares um, again on the TV shows that he'd like to see come back his first would be the Crystal Maze. <laughs> I love if, the Crystal Maze. Especially if Richard O'Brien came It'd have back to, to be host Richard it. O'Brien.
2: He's another one that doesn't age, right? He doesn't get older. Yeah,
1: he's always looked like that. He would
2: be good. I I, um, yeah, I would actually go back even further. Do you remember the adventure game? You're probably not old know. enough
1: to remember that. Don't.
2: Some of our older listeners will remember the adventure game. It used to be yeah. on like at tea time on the BBC. Okay. And the idea was like these celebrities of the time, like whoever was on Blue Peter mm. at the time or whatever, yeah. and like four other guys would get. Transported to this alien world and the alien culture, it was great. There was this whole narrative, much like the Crystal Maze, where this alien race they liked to test humans and they liked to play games and and do puzzles. (laughs) And the and the and the the idea was like, could you solve all these? puzzles. So yeah. It's very similar to the Crystal Maze, but it's yep. kind of a, a precursor to it. But yeah, I'd love to see both of those
1: come back. And Nightmare is another suggestion that he says. Nightmare uh, was another show like that, right? Exactly like that. That has sort of come back in the last couple of years. Yeah, they've done They're it live on yeah. stage in London which I went to see. But yeah, but with modern day effects, mm-hmm. as Colin says, they'd look great. He's yeah. also a big Stargate SG1 fan. And he'd love to see that come back. I yeah. never really watched it, so I can't never really comment. Never saw it, yeah.
0: No. I've got a couple, so yeah, I've got uh, Greenwing, uh, which was uh, Tams and Green Seema Mangan. Yep. A really good comedy and uh, yeah, it's really good to go watch those old comedies before. Like I i I watched Big Train quite a lot and it's interesting going back and watching like Simon Pegg as like a thirty year old like being funny and things. Like, I think that's quite good. That's a yeah. good one. Um have I got any more here? I've got one from yeah. Uh, Aaron Sorkin's uh, Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, which I actually really, really liked. Yeah,
2: I'm a little bit of a, I'm a little bit of a Sorkin fanboy. Yeah. In that. even what's considered his worst work, I still yeah. think it's better than most of what was on exactly, television. Yeah. The Steve Jobs scripts that he wrote is fantastic. Oh, wow, it's yeah. the best thing I've read. Really? in In a re- again, talking about like scripts where you read the script and you feel like you've seen the movie. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, okay, that's fantastic. The
1: first picture of that dropped online today, actually. From, oh, it did? It was, it was an un- unofficial mm. one, but it was okay, interesting yeah. to see what they looked like.
2: I'm okay, very yeah. interested to see that film. Yeah. yeah, definitely.
1: But yeah, I
0: thought Studio 60 was, uh, was a really, really good show. Um, and it has, a, hot, it has like, a couple of absolute stinker episodes. Mm. Um, but it had a really, really good ending, unfortunately. I found um, it a
1: bit too melodramatic, like... It's know. really heavy-handed. Like I like... think, you know, Sorkin gets
2: criticised a lot because he has like certain rhythms and tricks that he uses over and over in each show. You know, it's like, yep. oh, okay, there's, there's that episode again. Yeah, yeah. There's really... a certain, certain things that he likes to revisit. But I just find, again, like w- when the West Wing was at its best, it was better than anything else Should on television. Yeah, yeah.
1: He's amazing. Mm. Uh, that's quite a lengthy defence of Mrs. Well, Brown's Boys. Yeah. I, I'm not sure if you want to read it or I not. Did, I, did,
0: I saw that you put Mrs. Brown's Boys, and I'm just saying I'm just not even going to read it. But I think it
1: should be allowed that someone should defend it, because we've slated it. And I did say they it's the most popular sitcom in the UK right now.
2: I've never, never even seen, seen it, but shit. It's, very, it's, very, it's very popular, right? Yeah, it's Sorry, Carl
1: Barrett, who, uh, who sent us that uh, impassioned <laughs> yeah. defence. Um, but finally, this is quite interesting, actually. This is a totally different subject. Mm. This is from... Uh, uh, oh what's he called he's called himself two different things here Brian uh, Mack. Jiminy Jellicas okay that's what he seems to want to be known as Jiminy
2: Jellicas isn't that what uh, Fallout Boy says it's um radioactive uh, man psychic oh, yeah okay
1: yeah that makes sense um then this is something I've had a couple of tweets about this as well so uh read Ghostbusters uh, Jiminy says, All the talk seems to be about females, etc., and whether you are sexist if you don't agree with it. I'd like to know your thoughts more on the reasoning behind the move by Sony. It doesn't make sense to me to move in a direction that a large part of the hardcore fans will feel alienated by. Do you think they aren't worried by the original fans' dislike and think that the success of Bridesmaid will attract enough fan viewers to cover this loss? So I've seen people saying that they think that this move, having poor Feig... Uh, write and directs it and have it all females Mm. means that they're just aiming the film at the bridesmaid audience but I think that's That's really not looking at the stuff he's done in the past particularly Freaks and Geeks yeah like just because he's made two successful films that have had women in the lead yeah I don't have a problem with this at
0: all. I, I think don't have a problem with it at all because the original cast don't want to come back for it. One of them's dead. Bill yep. Murray doesn't want to do it. Yep. How else do you do it? Who would you cast? Yep. Like, you go in a completely different way that then yeah, they can't be compared in the same way. If you've got a female cast, it can't be compared in the same way. It's going, going have in a different to, I direction. Have, I it. have to
2: say I have nothing but disdain for this For this attitude in this argument it's that foul. when did it be, I mean I guess it, it's just been this way forever but I was yeah. going to say when did it become the norm because it's always been the norm that the male is just considered the default and yeah. you have to flip a switch yeah. for it to become something else as exactly, opposed to just yeah. saying well it can be this it can be this or that at the beginning yeah. and what's funny who do we want to put in this movie it doesn't matter if they're male or female Exactly. what yeah. makes it fresh what makes it different like because are you saying that because the original Ghostbusters was all male that alienates women like women didn't like the original Ghostbusters because exactly, it was yeah. all dudes. Yeah. Like, it's absolutely nonsensical. We've got we've got to grow out of this. It's Definitely. pathetic.
1: The only thing that I'm worried about is they're saying it's a reboot. I kind of wish it was in the same universe, though, where I hope it is. this stuff yeah. happened in the 80s. I mean, we don't really know at this yeah. point. But I would like it to... This stuff would happened in the 80s, and this is what's happening now. And, yeah. You know? And I would.
2: I, really I mean, I, again, who knows? I think Paul Feiger's is a genius, and yeah. Fruits and Geeks is a fantastic show. Yeah. Um, my instinct on it would be, yeah, like, acknowledge the the films that were made and say that this is the next generation mm. and they're picking up where those guys left off yeah I don't
1: if it's a reboot I, I mean yeah. who knows um, who knows all I know is these women are really funny as well yeah and they're exactly, they yeah. mainly Saturday Night Live alumni like just like the original guys just well, like
2: just is, like the original which is yeah. great we've
1: got one
0: final piece of uh, okay. feedback from uh, a friend of yours. Uh, Wait, we, a friend of mine.
2: Yes, I don't have. I, I don't have any friends. Uh, a friend yeah. of yours called David Upchurch. Oh, I know David. Well, I used to. Yeah. yeah, from back in the day. He's so, still a friend.
0: So he's got. He's he's given us a story then, uh, which oh. we <laughs> go on. <laughs> the story's fairly simple.
2: Wait, did you tell David that I was going to be on the on the show? We did. Yeah, like okay. Alex. Did. So you stitched me Al- up basically. Al- Al- Alex did. Yeah, okay. nothing to
0: do with me. I'm just reading it. The story's fairly simple. Gaz and I with a crowd in the City
2: Pride as usual. So what's the City Pride? That's a pub that we used to drink in, it was right next door to Emap where we okay. used to work on the old 8 bit and 16 bit magazines. Yeah. Do you
1: want us to do this story? Well, I don't know. It's <laughs> kind of, the Star Wars what?
2: quiz one that we sort of mentioned.
1: Oh, no, the that's thing fine. In? Okay, <laughs> okay
0: good,
2: good. That's what we put you at ease a little <laughs> that's bit. That's fine.
0: Uh, and as usual, arguing about Star Wars. And we decided to have a Star Wars face off SmackDown trivia challenge. Is that the official name? I remember for it? it
2: very well. It yeah. Haunts me to this day.
0: <laughs> so we took it in turns so to ask each other questions. And after a long bloody battle, I stumped him. Do you remember what the question was that he left you with?
2: The question was, "What is Biggs's surname?" And I didn't know because it's one of those things that you don't get. It's not in the films. Like you have to read the book to know all the ancillary material. Uh, to know that and I didn't know it and I, that he finally got me but I mean you know we we escalated it started off like, fairly easy and you get harder and harder as you go yeah. and eventually that's yeah he won I, but I'd just like to say if David wants a rematch I guarantee you <laughs> we'll host it on I this. guarantee you, you won, I would yeah. not lose today because I have upped my Star Wars game considerably <laughs> yeah.
1: in the years since yeah. so um, I, when we when um, Gary comes back yeah we get for, there, in, in two years time for the podcast we'll do, we'll do a we'll Star do Wars there. quiz years ago
2: I've got to tell you this story because that one makes me look bad I tell you a story Sorry, it yeah. Actually, it does It makes me look terrible, but whatever. Yeah. Um, so years ago, I, uh, my girlfriend, I'm going back, jeez, oh, 15 years. But I've obviously been a Star Wars fan for much longer than that. And my girlfriend at the time knew that I was a big Star Wars fan. And for Christmas one year, um, I was visiting, it was the first time visiting her family. I spent Christmas at her family's house. And she had, they didn't know what, you know, it's like, what do we get, Gary? We don't know what to buy, get him for Christmas. What does he like? And she said, well, you like Star Wars. So they bought me Star Wars Privial Pursuit. Okay. and so like after dinner it's like you know you, well you gotta get <laughs> let's get the board game out and we'll all play of course, it yeah. and it's me and my girlfriend at the time and her parents and brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and like a lot of people sitting around playing so we get out the game and we're, there's six of us playing and the questions are not super easy and again like unless like to the average person like the average man on the street who can tell you who Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker is but mm. doesn't necessarily know the difference between an X-Wing and a Y-Wing it was it, it was aimed at people that at least knew the difference between an X-wing and a Y-wing yeah and so I was the last to go we were around the table and everyone was like what how am I supposed to know what the emperor's name is like because yeah. it's not in the films and so they, so I went around like people increasingly saying like who knows this stuff like who would know any of these questions and it came to me <laughs> And I ran the table. I got all six cheeses and won the game in one turn because I knew every Aww. answer. And I and I was so happy. And I remember looking up yeah. at my at my poss- quite possibly at the time future in-laws that were all just looking at me and like just just like disgust, like not impressed at all. No, just like yeah, yeah. what how like what have you done with your life that this is what you know? Like yeah. you shouldn't know, you shouldn't know this much. So they were kind of appalled, and the relationship went south very quickly after that. But. Yeah. um that's my... That's my. I think that story makes me look good. Yeah. But to the average man in the street, they probably would not be impressed. No, I no. I mean, and I hope you
1: weren't celebrating in their faces and...
2: Oh, yeah. I was sort of like, ah, <laughs> yeah. your face, suckers. Like, cool. flipped the whole table over and <laughs> walked out, dropped the mic.
1: Yeah. So, definitely some Star Wars trivia in two years' time. I'll do, do a yeah. Star
2: Wars trivia rematch against... Pretty much anybody, okay. Um, except well, except the guys at Lucasfilm, okay. whose job it is to know everything. Like, if you want to, there's a couple of guys who work at Lucasfilm who are like the keepers of the canon. Amazing. And like, if if you like, if there was like a life or death Star Wars pub trivia, yeah, and you needed like a ringer,
1: yeah, Did can, you have, you have I, can try, I, can, I can give you a oh, couple man. of names
2: that would just blow everybody away. I think we should
1: do a competition to find the ultimate Star Wars fan. Bring him in, yeah. Bring, bring him, him in, in. take Gary, him married. Yeah. Let's do it. Cool. Uh, finally, let's power through games and films yep, coming sure. out this week. So, uh, Evolve is out next Tuesday. It's very oh, good. We, we did had a podcast on it last week. Yeah,
0: so if you want to hear more about that, go back to that. Um, game of Thrones Episode 2 is out. So right. It's one of the tale Telltale tale films. 10. Yeah, it's really, really good. Um, and my favourite game that's out at the moment is called Gunman Clive 2 what's that uh, on 3ds it's this little indie oh. game uh gunman clive get it on the eShop. Ah, uh, i done yeah you can go on that i think it costs about two pound fifty uh and it's just brilliant <laughs> and the it's art- the
2: sequel to gunman clive on I- it that's actually. right yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> which has this amazing little uh amazing art style to it there's more colors in this one i think there was like two colors in the first one uh, and it just uses
1: 3ds perfectly and it's two pound fifty Can't like, get it wrong, can you? yeah exactly it's less than a cup of coffee exactly uh, on the film side of things, if you've got kids, Shaun the Sheep is out, and I'm hearing very good things about the Shaun is the Art Sheep Is Iron Man
2: movie. still as good as they were, like, in the classic days? Well, it's I been a so. while,
1: hasn't it? Pirates Since, was amazing. Yeah, oh, sorry, Pirates was yeah, really yeah. good. I believe this one is aimed a little bit younger. Okay. It might not hmm. even have any human dialogue, or very little dialogue oh, in it, right. so... Yeah. But yeah, hearing it's really good.
0: good. very funny films. Like the shorts they released on the 3DS, the Shaun the Sheep ones were really, really funny. Like yeah. good sort of like physical comedy. Very film. funny. Yeah. Like the
1: spoof posters they've done have been quite funny. Really good. Yeah. Yeah. They did a Boyhood spoof poster where it was Shaun lying back and it was Barhood. Mm. Wow. <laughs>
0: they did a Big Hero Six one as well, which might have been Bar Hero Six to be honest. They but never. They it never, was really good. They never <laughs> did anything
2: better than The Wrong Trousers, though, did they? I mean, that that, was was, that is yeah. the pinnacle. I yeah. think yeah. still to yeah. this amazing day. stuff.
1: Um, so good. This week we've also got Selma coming out, which I've seen, the Martin Luther King movie. Yeah. Very, very powerful. Really worth a watch. Uh, very upsetting. But two so and a Oscar's half hours. Oscar's time's got to be, isn't it? Yeah. Two and a half hours, though. That's really... I learned a lot watching that movie.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, I don't know how much of it was true, but um, <laughs> the interview's finally coming out in the UK. Okay. It's getting a bit of a limited release, but ah, yeah. it disappeared from the UK schedule. Yeah. Uh, did you see that when it was... No, I
2: haven't seen it, although it is on net. It's, on it's just Netflix, got added to Netflix. Yeah. So I want to get... When I get back, I'll have a chance to see it. I mean, it's obviously very silly what happened with that film. And, of course, yeah. it ended up probably getting more attention than it would have. I think Definitely it probably just yeah. would have came and went based on just the merits of the film. It got more yeah. attention,
1: but I think it made less money because it was just on so few screens. Yes. That, yeah. I mean,
2: I think Sony will end up losing money on it. But, yeah. I mean, it's obviously... I, I thought it was kind of sad what happened. Mm. And, um, Usually, um,
1: yeah. Scary. Yeah. Agreed. And I've seen it. I mean, it's it's quite funny. Yeah, It's not, not, not as funny as This is the End, but... Yeah enjoyable and it just seems crazy that it, it caused yeah. all that yeah and i guess the big one coming out this week is jupiter ascending the new one from the wachowski no, that's a until in, yeah. monday
2: isn't it people have seen it but no one's talking about it yet i've seen a view
1: today i'm sure Did you? Well, yeah, i
2: haven't seen it up, okay
1: yeah. we weren't invited to see it till <laughs> tomorrow so i don't really know what to say it's never yeah. a good sign when a film's put back a year and um you're embargoed until the day before or something, but yeah, it's not good, we it? don't know. I like the Wachowskis. I hope it's good. It's just...
2: This is, and this oh, is another so. thing, to, to going back to the yeah. idea of like snark, and there is a ter- there's a terrible kind of poisonous undercurrent of negativity on the internet yeah, these days that I yeah. try to kind of stay away from. And it's really interesting that someone made this point the other day that there's a lot of people out there they almost seems to be rooting for that Something film to, to fail. fail yeah, yeah. And I don't like I think when you root for a film to fail you yep. root for film to fail like, yeah. I don't get it we just want to learn a bit how rare it is to see big original science fiction films being made Chris Nolan and the Wachowskis are pretty much the only guys left that are able to kind of get a big original science fiction films through the Hollywood system at a big budget and present big brave ideas I mean look at what the Matrix the Matrix is an incredible piece of filmmaking and that was an original film that they struggled in 99% of other alternate universes that film never gets made yeah so why in a world of you know sequels and remakes and reboots and adaptations where we're so desperately saying why don't, can't we have more original films? That yeah. When one comes along, people just instantly just want to pile on. I don't understand the attitude yeah, at yeah, all. Yeah, no. If the it, film is no good, yeah, exactly. then fair enough, but Fine. we don't know that. I just don't it's, understand. Like, why wouldn't you, why, again, why wouldn't your default give it a chance, attitude, yeah. why, if you're a film lover, yeah. why wouldn't your default mode to be hopeful and optimistic about every single film that comes out, why, why wouldn't you hope that every single film that comes out is good yeah. as opposed to just assuming it's going to be crap?
1: Yeah. I, don't, yeah. I don't understand keep, the attitude at all. No. Keep an open mind, people. And shall we end it there? Let's do it. Um, On a positive note. <laughs> I want to thank Gary for coming in and spending all this time with us. Definitely, this has been yeah. a typically long podcast. Yeah, for us. so i warned
2: you it might. Back, back, in, back in the US where I do the tested podcast, they typically mm. run for like two to three hours. Yeah.
1: But I don't think anyone will complain. It was all very interesting, nope. wasn't it? I've heard it. How it been? Oh, bloody day. Two days. Um, <laughs> yeah. I what let's, day is it? But Abomination, let's say that again. Oh, that's, yes. That's coming you, right out right? pre-sale on February the 9th, I believe. Yes, yeah, so <laughs> this
2: goes out on the Friday. So yeah. if you listen to this on the Friday or over the weekend, on the Monday, Monday, February 9th, yeah. uh, you'll be able to go to a website called Inkshares.com, I-N-K-S-H-A-R-E-S. Okay. Or you can follow me on Twitter, Gary Witter, G-A-R-Y-W-H-I-T-T-A. Or you can follow the hashtag abomination, and all of those things will be. I'm um, this, like I said, this t- kind of sort of self-published. So there's no big publisher or studio on this one going out and doing all the or rattling the cages to yeah. get the word out. It's really just me. Yeah. So I'm kind of shamelessly promoting it guerrilla style as much as I can, which I'm very glad to be here today. Yeah. Um. But yeah, follow it. So go to Inkshares or follow me on Twitter or follow the hashtag abomination, and you will. Uh, in a position to order the book no it's really good so okay so let me so I actually haven't told anyone this this is really cool so this is what you'll see on Monday so there's it's a little bit crowdfunded Hmm. but instead of like on Kickstarter where you get like a million different options like you can get five pound ten pound or whatever you can do all these different things there's three different ways to do it you can either buy an ebook just on its own which I think is like eight Dollars. I don't know what this is going to translate into. Yeah. Uh, or you can get a limited edition hardcover of the book that I will sign, which you can only get during the once those pre-orders close. You won't be able to get that anymore. And an e-book because shouldn't all books come with an e-book? I don't understand why mm, you don't yeah. get that automatically. Um, or if you want to be a bit nutty you can spend $100 and get three copies of the book and an ebook, and actually get your name in the book. We're going to, t- the, the, however many of those are available, yeah. once they're all done, I think it's like however many people can pre-order it. Mm. Uh, once it hits its crowdfunding number, whoever bought the book at that level yeah. in the front or the back of the book, someone will get their name in the book. So that's oh, nice cool. as well. So nice. many options. Yeah. So it's, by Grabthar's hammer,
1: what a savings. <laughs> uh, so thank you so much for, this. Giving us your time, Gary, and chatting mm-hmm. I such enjoyed a long it. time. I
2: enjoyed it thoroughly. Yeah.
1: Um, and thank you guys for listening and watching. And next week, I think we have another special guest. We do. But you know what? I don't want to say it. No. Give me, think people, give me a clue. I think people should go and watch Rebel Base, your Star Wars show, because yes. they'll find out in there, where they? Ooh, I know who it is now. I'm not <laughs> going to say that. Why don't you do a clue? Why don't you do a clue? Um,
2: yeah. Uh, much like Mil- much like Mark Millar, someone from the world of comics whose work I very much admire. Nice.
1: Excellent. So uh, check out Rebel Base if you want to find out who it is or just tune in next week. Uh, But for now, thank you for watching. Thank you. Cheerio.